So during this recording, we had some issues with Diana's internet where she would be dropping in and out of our recording session. And um, so we had to deal with that. And so I had Diana record locally and was able to, I think, patch it all back together. Uh, but there might be some spots in the episode that just don't quite make the fullest sense. Um, and that's for that reason. I hope it comes across as um, fine and as normal. But uh, in case there is any things that you were curious, like that doesn't sound quite right. Like, yeah, that's that would be the answer. So um, I put together this little outtake for you. So since we have Diana's file locally, um, I, I have that inserted. So that's why you're going to hear her talk. But um, but Nick and I don't know. So this is just what we had to deal with. So enjoy this outtake and then the rest of the episode like normal. Yeah. All right, Diana. Oh my God. Beetlejuice, do you like it, love it, hate it, dislike it, or think it's just okay? I love this movie oh, no, so much. I think this is one of my We're com- never going to find no, out how she feels you. about Beetlejuice. Part of me wants to keep this oh in my- the episode. Dude, I, you should do outtake <laughs> like just this once. <laughs> maybe, maybe just this segment here. At Sif Pop. We're your movie friends. But are friends really friends? If you don't know them. So grab a popcorn. And head over to our row. So we can chat movies. Like friends do. There's always room. For more movie friends. So sit back. Relax. And enjoy the show. Welcome. 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 To the writer's room. Hello and welcome to Sif Pop Writer's Room. I'm your host Aaron, but not that Aaron, of course. And this week I'm joined by Sif Pop Writer's Nick. Hi, everybody. Hi, Dr. Nick. And I'm joined by, for the first time ever, Civ Pop writer Diana. Hi. We write for SivPop.com, providing you movie reviews, best ever challenges, and lots of other interesting movie related articles. So make sure to check out the website, SivPop.com, to keep up with all of that. On today's show, we'll be talking about a coming attraction. Uh, three of them coming out this week. Wow. Um, that's fun um three of them coming out this week uh and then we'll uh tell you whether or not we're looking forward to them uh we'll move on to the sif topic which will be um two movies off of crossing off my watch list big fish and beetlejuice tim burton week is happening this week and um uh nick suggested we do best ever danny elfman scores for our um a b plot so we will do that because if it was top five tim burton movies it would all be you know the same um <laughs> it, at least the, at least the same five maybe in a different order and yeah it might be that way with danny elfman too i just didn't realize it but that's you know it's either probably way gonna like, be that way i don't know <laughs> about that one we'll see yeah we'll see. um yeah either way because <laughs> <laughs> like danny elfman's done like a lot of movies and so there's like hundreds might be like a really sneaky poll there versus tim burton's like Sure, he's made Alice in Wonderland, but is that like anybody's like favorite no. t- top five favorite Tim Burton movie? <laughs> um, so, um, yeah. So after we're done doing that, we'll wrap up with the spinoff. A uh, quick recommend or warn from each one of us. But first, let's get a chance to know our writers this week. Uh, Diana, this is your first time on the on the show. Welcome. Thank you. So- I'm excited to be here. Good. So, a um, couple questions for you. You know, mm-hmm. um, our hazing process. Uh, <laughs> Want to know when uh, when you realize that like movies are kind of your thing? Okay. So this is actually a fun question. It really wasn't until last year. I had always been that girl who was like, no, I haven't seen it. I don't have the patience to watch movies. Like they're too long, unless it was a Disney movie. But then I got into horror and like very interested in how they make it, the practical effects, and all that, and 
I got sucked in, like, go to all these horror conventions. Like, I'm in the theaters watching them, you know, watching reshowings of things. And, yeah, it's been love at first sight ever since. Nice. Uh, what would you consider your favorite movie? And then just kind of why you would pick that one. I mean, this is really hard because I have, I don't know if I can name like an all-time favorite movie, but I guess since this is the Burton episode, I'll go with Edward Scissorhands just because it is a great movie. There's a lot of humor in it, but it's not like cheesy in your face humor. It's like subtle mm. humor, especially because Johnny Depp barely has any lines. So a lot of his humor is emoting, which is fantastic. Amazing cast, amazing score. I, I absolutely love it. I'm really excited to see this one again because so first of all it's a it's it's for sure a nostalgia movie for me one I grew up watching. Mm-hmm. I don't think I've seen it in maybe 10 15 years and um and my most recent exposure for it was when I was doing the behind the sins podcast and yeah. so the Cinemasins team did it and <laughs> that was a good video. And so I watched the Cinemasins video and like the thing that I remember mostly about that video was how they went on about how it's the one guy's whole plan to be able to buy a van so he can screw Winona Wider in it, right? Yeah. Like, that's his whole motivation. I'm like, I don't remember that, so. <laughs> that's funny. <laughs> that's great. I am. I'm ready for a re- rewatch of that one, um, but very nice. And lastly, um, kind of, uh, it, it takes a lot for somebody to say, hey, I want to write for a movie re- website. Um, what was the thing that kind of made you get going? Um, and, uh, and how's it been so far? It's one person by the name of Shane Conto, who I went to college with. Um, and he had me on his show one day and he was telling me like afterwards, cause I had an interest in doing movie reviews. I am a writer. Um, and I do stuff in the media and I was like, I want to get into screenings. And he's like, Oh, I write for these websites. And I'm like, wait, what? Like, I want to do that too. Pass me your email. And there you go. That that's, that's how it works um <laughs> very nice um uh i think that covers it for the main questions um nick let's move over to you for a little bit um which summer blockbuster are you most excited for it uh it's the in, across the spider-verse the mm. that one i am just so ready for They've delayed it several times. Mm-hmm. It's the, my Into the Spider Verse has quickly moved up my top 100 of all time. I'm, I'm very close to I think putting it in my top five favorite movies of all time. So, I'm just tickled with the idea that we're getting a sequel. Yeah, for sure. What if it sucks? <laughs> it's not going to. <laughs> but what if it does? The the great thing about it is even if it's not great, I. I still have that original one, and so That's true. it's not like it's not like we've gotten so far in that like it's a great franchise that would be ruined mm. by like one entry. It's That's true. Just, I, yeah. I think it'll be. I think it'll be all right. That trailer was pretty good. It it, it brought the emotion. They weren't afraid to put an emotional scene in the trailer, mm. and I think that that's telling that the movie is confident. So, Nick, have you ever seen Fanboys? I do. I own Fanboys, actually. I was like, Fanboys is a movie. Like, I just love it because, like, there's this moment. I'm going to spoil, like, a joke in Fanboys for anybody that hasn't seen it. But it's about these Star Wars nerds. Takes place, like, right before The Phantom Menace is about to come out. One of them finds out he's going to die before it premieres. So they want to drive over to George Lucas's ranch and see Phantom Menace before anybody else. And that's the whole purpose of this movie. It's a cross-country road trip for that. And then 
he um they, they get to the end of of this movie and they're finally sitting down to watch it and he just goes guys what if this movie sucks it and sucks. it's just like it's the best punchline <laughs> ever so uh i always thought that was a great ending to the movie but on top of that you know full well that they all walked out of there knowing that it maybe it sucked but we're so on a high that it didn't suck because that's yeah. how we all left the Phantom Menace. It was the, it was the best movie ever, until it wasn't. <laughs> I don't know because I was four when it came out, but uh, it's ninety nine, right? Stop reminding me how little you are. <laughs> I know I have less hair than you, but uh, I've got you in numbers. Um, I have less hair and less years. Ha <laughs> ha. Uh, <laughs> I have wisdom. I think I don't know. That's how you You're pronounce like- it. You have kids. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I have experience. That's that's really all that gives you. There you go. Uh, Diana, what about you? Which summer blockbuster are you most excited for? I'm going to say The Little Mermaid. Um, I feel like there's been a lot of controversy unnecessarily surrounding it. And I know that Halle Bailey, I keep wanting to call her like Halle Berry because my brain does this thing when I see mm. her name. But I know she's going to wow daughter, everyone. Right? <laughs> it should be. <laughs> No, it, it isn't. Isn't it? I, I don't thought think it was so. her daughter. No. Okay. No, because her, her last name is Bailey. Bailey. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Okay. Um. No, but I think she's gonna wow everyone. She's incredibly talented. Um. I love Disney movies, as I mentioned before. The Little Mermaid. If you couldn't tell by my hair color, you guys, those of you listening, I have bright red hair. Like Ariel's my soul sister. Can't wait. Like I'm really excited to see what they could do with the classic can confirm that uh, Halle Bailey's parents are um, Courtney and Doug, which are definitely not Halle. Um, no. <laughs> I just thought, I don't know. Um, I just assumed anybody, you know, whatever. Uh, moving on before I get in trouble. Um, <laughs> I, I don't think it's cheating because like, I, I think the summer, expa- like the summer has expanded wider um it's not just like june and july i don't know like can we count guardians of the galaxy three like that's may sure like, oh yeah that that's the summer movie season officially starts the first week of may which is guardians that, that's kind of what i thought but also like with recent years like captain america civil war was april march one of the mm. april no they've always been may the only one that wasn't was mm. uh was uh winter soldier they put that in april because they wanted it tied into the Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. finale, which took place after. You're right. And they you're didn't right. want to make it wait. Um, Captain America Civil War and Batman vs. Superman were announced this for, for the same day. And then Remember Batman that? budged. Um, uh, and they moved. I think I think they pushed it back to March. Maybe they pulled it up. But Batman vs. Superman moved it to March, yeah. March. Um, but, but like last year's the Batman came out in March. And so it's like, yeah, like, I feel like they're trying to nudge it a little close. John Wick four is out in March. Shazam. Like, I mean, Shazam's not getting good reviews, but you know, Scream uh, six. Like it's still a big movie. Um, so anyway, <laughs> guardians of the galaxy volume three. Uh, I'm really excited to see how James Gunn concludes this trilogy. I'm excited to see, are they going to set up for future guardians movies that will be a different crew and then under a different filmmaker as well. I'll be excited to see, you know, what they do with with the characters. I, I'm excited to see how they're going to kind of end this portion of these people, of these this crew's 
um, life. And I'm, I'm, I, I think I'm just mostly excited to see. Um, I'm a big fan of the Telltale game for Guardians of the Galaxy, and there's a storyline in there with um, Rocket and another raccoon named Lila, and we see Lila in the trailers, and I was so emotionally invested in them, um, and I've been just dying to see them together. It's been it's it's been the one thing that I've wanted from Guardians three since because that Telltale game came out right around the time of Guardians two. Um, and it's been the one thing that I'm like, please, James Gunn, put Lila in Volume 3. And it's happening. And I'm not ready to cry, um, but... <laughs> oh, you're going to um, cry so much during this movie? <laughs> but there's going to be a lot of time, a lot of reasons for me to cry uh, during this movie. So yes, I think the trailer is great. Um, I, I, I'm I, just so on board with this movie. So, um yeah, it's it's the one that that I'm like, and it's weird because like I, I, it's after Ant Man and the Wasp: Quantumania, like just kind of admitting to, I think I might have Marvel fatigue now, <laughs> which uh, just because they haven't been good in a while, and mm-hmm. they, they've been fine, but they haven't been great in a while, you know, with the occasional Spider Man No Way Home or um, Shang Chi thrown in there, like it's been since Endgame since there's been like a truly great movie, and um, especially Ant Man. Um, I don't have Marvel fatigue. So I have weird. mediocre Marvel fatigue. Like, <laughs> stop pushing them out. Make a good movie first, then put it That's out. Fair. Mm-hmm. That's fair. Up with these hard, fast dates five years in advance. Well, we have to hit that February date. So, I mean, I'm fine with that as long as like the filmmakers have plenty of time beforehand, you know, as opposed, you know, start production early. Who cares? Um, so Anyway. Yeah. Um, all right. Nick, let's hear round two. What do you got for my movie collection? Okay. So last time I was super mean. Today I'm going to be super as, as nice. As per my request. <laughs> um, I have to say, you are not only a scholar, but a gentleman for putting all of your MCU movies in the M's by having Marvel's The Hulk, mm-hmm. Mar- mm-hmm. Marvel's Iron Man. I love that. That's exactly how I did my list. It's so well organized. You are just great at this movie organization thing, Aaron. I tell you. It was mostly so that if I ever like wanted to sort my column, Mm. that it would still show up. I would lose the chronology though, because they're all, they're all in release order. Yeah. I don't like the idea of putting them in, uh, Putting them just in their titled orders, like it's they've got it. They, they're 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 like sequels. It's like a long running TV show. You yeah. can't split up the MCU, so they have to stay. I together. mean, you could certainly miss a few and be okay. Nobody needs to see Thor: The Dark World. I I have one question for you that's maybe not as nice. Um, why no Mission Impossible one? Oh, I don't like it. Podcast over. Sorry. <laughs> It's what? It, it's got a very iconic sequence, and that's about it. Um, what what iconic sequence are you referring to? The one where he, you know, falls down in the in his, from the zip line in the sky, and you know so, they're lowering him down, and he. You know, so do, Emilio do, Estevez do. getting stabbed through the eyes on an elevator wasn't iconic enough for you? The yeah. whole mask pulling off on the train, at, and then the helicopter on the train. Ah. There are better Aaron. mass sequences in Mission Impossible 3, bro. 
Uh, yeah, I mean, I know. Mission, Mission Impossible could start with three, and I'd be a okay. Because um, look, two, we all can agree, two is terrible. Two but, is terrible. Um, I I remember um, one was a nostalgia movie for me, and then I picked it up one day. Um, I think like in preparation for like Rogue Nation coming out, and I was like, hey, these movies are good now. I remember the first one being good, and and everybody seems to love it. And I'm like, this movie's kind of boring. Um, oh man, I I saw Mission Impossible one way too young. We were on an airplane going somewhere, and we got one of those personal video things, and I watched it um, by myself, and my parents didn't know that that's the one I picked. And I was probably like, it was probably the year it came out, so I was maybe eleven, and uh, I I loved the hell out of it. And then just I, when we rewatched it, I, I I really moved it up my list. It was at the bottom of my list. Right above two, but I think I like it more than some of the newer ones because it's just it's just that '90s nostalgia that really gets me with it. Yeah, and I have nostalgia for it, but like not that much, so it wasn't really able to carry me through. I don't know, like maybe it's that comparison game, right? But like, man, I think three is sneaky good, and even though it's not, even though it's not the best, it's way more entertaining than it has any right to be because J.J. Abrams is just so freaking good. Yeah. Um, and it Thoughts has one of the best opening scenes of all time. Like, I know we like to talk about Inglorious Bastards, and rightfully so, for best opening sequence of all time. But guys, let's start throwing Mission Impossible 3 in the conversation. So. All right. Diana, let me hear it. Be mean. I mean, well, it's hard for me to be mean because I'm like scrolling through trying to find things wrong with it. Things I like are on there. And then I was like, I'm going to roast him if Malignant is on there because I think that movie's terrible, but everyone seems to love it. It's not on there. Uh, it's beautifully sorted, as mentioned before. I stay in a Google Sheet. The highlights are amazing. Like, I really can't find anything bad to say. And I am a picky person. But it all looks great to me. I know it's not as exciting. Look, you got such variety on here. You have Spaceman, or Spaceman, Space Jam. I was looking at Spider Man, yeah. Space Jam, and then you've got all the screams. Yeah. Pirate. I mean, come on, it's beautiful. There's nothing bad to yeah. say. <laughs> uh, I, mean, I want to see Spaceman starring either LeBron James or <laughs> Michael Jordan. <laughs> How about both? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and Tobey Maguire too, because it's a combination of Spider-Man and Space Jam. There so go. there you go. Space Toby Maguire's the bad guy in space on the moon, and LeBron and Michael have to stop him. And Michael's the old grizzled cop about to retire. I love it. Pitch look, it. Look, I'm just saying. After Babylon, all I want to see is Toby Maguire be bad guys. Um, <laughs> yes. I have no interest in seeing him be anything more than like coked up, drugged out. What I believe to be Tobey Maguire in real life after Molly's game, you know. Yeah. Um. So. So how he was in Spider Man. Roger Rabbit. Like I was looking to see if you have you got it. Like I can't find anything wrong here. Yeah. Although although we did cover Roger Rabbit um, a couple months ago. I don't think it's as good as every as. I thought it was. But, yes. Um, I feel like it's yeah. one of those movies that like are hyped up. And when you're a kid, it's one thing. And then you rewatch it after a few years and you're like, all right, you know what? I would like this for nostalgia purposes. Is this the greatest movie ever made? Absolutely not. Nick, this is completely backfiring me. Cause I made this list as, as a way to, to like be fun, to be like, Hey, make fun of the movie guy. 
And like it just feels like people come and give me props every week, and like that's not the point. I don't want to be mean to you, Aaron. You won't let us back on your podcast. Put malignant yeah. on there, and then I will roast you. I haven't seen malignant, but like it's I've been getting into horror, but I know that like that's not my kind of stuff. It's bad. Uh, so, all right, Nick. I didn't get as much time to scroll through your list as I thought I would, but I do have some. Bear notes. in mind, I do have three kids, so. That's fair. This is all the movies we own, not just my movies. That's fair. I I was super afraid, actually. Um, there was one or two movies that my wife, like, has that, like, under no circumstances would I ever own, except for the fact that she said, hey, you have a 1,500 movies. Would you mind letting me have four? <laughs> um, you know, uh, so, yeah, so that's... Um, I was, I, I'm just waiting for somebody to bring one up, and I'll be like, hey, look, I'm married. It's fine. I share a collection <laughs> with my wife, but I'm still going to log it. Um, oh, Nick, I wanted to give you props because uh, you have uh, where I see Billy Madison. It says two packs. See Happy Gilmore. Um, yes. I think that's a very satisfying way of organizing that. I have that under like special packaging where I can put like it's a steelbook or it's part of a like a bundle whatever. And so I put like two pack with Happy Gilmore. But like I like that you just have that in the title. I I, think I, I I literally was like racking my brain over how to do that one. <laughs> I was like, Dude, what do I do? Yep. Um, how do you sort that in your like, first of all, do you sort your films on your stand? Whatever, whatever you put yes, movies they on. Are, they are alphabetical. Well, I'm running out of space. I keep, they're, they're alphabetical mostly. And then I've got my MCU movies off to the side with, um, with my box sets. So like, I had to take Star Wars and Star Trek and and Indiana Jones out because like they're they just take up too much space in the regular cabinet. So they're in their own little side bundle. But uh, I keep box sets in there, but I just pulled the MCU um, separately. But I have all the steel books that have come out for them. So like that's that's almost part of me wants to do something because I've got half of my movies down here in the basement and the other the ones that I most of my Blu-rays are upstairs. So it's mm. it's I don't like that they're separated. I want to make a big bookcase. Sure. Like all want to unite them. them. Um, uh, so where do you log something like Billy Madison, and Happy Gilmore together? Like, where does it go on your shelf? Um, it's I think I have it with the bees because the Billy Madison comes first on the, the thing. So I have um, a like uh, I have it starts with it starts with numbers. And then it goes alphabetical. Um, and then at the very end, after Z's, I have any bundles that don't have... Like, I have the Cornetto trilogy in C, Cornetto. That's even though, like, it doesn't say Cornetto anywhere. Um, but I have, like, I have a four-pack that has um, Paranorman, Coraline, Kubo and the Two Strings, and Box Trolls. And the studio that makes those movies is Leica. So I could put it in L. But that's what I, would I do. put like I put it I put those at the very end. And so I have a I have a package that has two Kevin Smith movies, um, Clerks 2 and Zack and Miri make a porno. And I have those in that collection. And I have a collection that has the three Harold and Kumar movies and Beer Fest. And so that goes at the very end. So, OK. All right. Um, I had something else to say, but I forgot. <laughs> so. Hmm. We'll see. That's like one of the only reasons why I don't do 
any other thing other than alphabetization. Because, like, if I wanted to do by year, there are some movies that, like, are multi-packs that I can't do it by year. Because then it'll split them up or it'll have to do so. I, it, I think way too much about how I organize my movie collection. Me too. I'm obsessed. Too. This is impressive. I'm not going to lie. <laughs> yeah, I'm just looking forward to the day, like, that my wife has agreed that when we, whenever we move, which we're not planning on moving, but whenever we move, we're going to do a theater room. Um, and amazing. I'm going to have essentially full control over that thing. Um, cause right now it's just my big TV in the middle of our living room and then some shelving around it. But I want to, you know, I want to do some stadium seating and, uh, whatever. I mean, obviously like within reason within our budget, but at least, at least she has said like, you can do like, you know, I don't have to tuck my movies away or anything like that or whatever. So it's going to be a nightmare to move, though, because I'm going to have like four totes just full of movies and that'll be it. But but part of the reason why we're doing this now for the podcast is um, is that uh, the idea is like I, I haven't seen Beetlejuice ever. Maybe I didn't like Beetlejuice, so I don't want to keep it. So maybe I'll put it in my cell collection. Um, so, um yeah, so the hope hope is to get down a couple of those. I think the only ones that have gone through my cell collection that have been on the podcast so far. I know I put I know I got rid of Tombstone because I didn't like Tombstone. Mm-hmm. Um and I definitely never saw myself watching that again. I think that's been it though. So and I know it probably just hurt some broke some people's hearts, but <laughs> you heard me talk about Tombstone earlier. Um Yeah, Tombstone Tombstone was uh, good. I would not classify it as a keeper. That's fair. <laughs> yeah. So um, Cloverfield. Yeah, I mean, and like some of these, if I would have owned, you know, um, that were kind of outliers, like um, League of Extraordinary Gentlemen or Ghost Rider or whatever. Um, I didn't own the color purple, but now I'm like on the lookout for whenever I come across a across a copy. But. Yep, so far the only one I've gotten rid of is uh, um, Tombstone. I probably, ooh, I might have actually got rid of Mask of Zorro, like, but that, but I own it digitally, so I'm saying like if I could get rid of it, I might have. I don't know, that one had some fun stuff on it. Anyway, um, we are 25 minutes into this and should move on, I think. Um, <coughs> so, yeah, I mean, I ultimately just didn't get enough time to look at your collection, Nick, and I, I don't have okay. things to gripe about, and any and any gripes. That you could say about mine, I could certainly uh, that I could say about yours. You could certainly come back with something ten times as harsh about mine. Um, so um, let's dive in. I have one more random question, something not pop culture related. Before we move on, guys, I gotta know. Um, I will give a first answer so you can think about your answer. So um, I want to know um, if you could, uh, if I, I give you a loan right now uh, with no interest to start a business. What business would you start? I will I will kick us off. Um, the business that I would start is I've had this idea for a little bit. My wife hates it every time I bring it up because I think it's a great idea. But I live in a college town. I want to buy a food truck, um, but like an old crappy one that is has nothing in it that actually works. I want to strip it to pieces, give it a nice fresh clean and install a bunch of cabinets in the back. And I want to fill the cabinets with different sorts of booze. And so essentially you can call this food truck that has booze to your party. And then you could just be like a bartender out the side. Um, booze truck. Yeah. Uh, booze food truck uh, with no food. 
So, you know, and, and I feel like there are certain times, like certain things that it's like, I wouldn't like, I, obviously there's gotta be a lot of permits in that, but I'm like, if you park on private property, like surely you get rid of a lot of the permits. I mean, you just need a health code classification thing. I don't know. I assume, but I'm just like, why can't a fraternity call me to come park on their lawn? And, you know, uh, and, and think about it, like outdoor weddings, I think would be a great option. Uh, again, I live in a college town, so fraternity parties, I think, are, are really option. You know, um, after church, you know, if you're Lutheran, um, like, that be a, I love making that For joke my wife's Lutheran family. Mm-hmm. I think it's amazing. Um, but, uh, like, I think there's plenty of, like, you know, I, I, weddings, funerals, if you want. I don't know. I want an open bar at my funeral. Um, They're all outside. Sense. Why not? Right. Why not? So you just call me up and you're like, hey, just have the truck here. And then I feel like the business model works. You know, I charge my own prices for things. But then whoever calls the truck just understands, hey, here are the things that I carry. If I have to open up a bottle, you buy the rest of the bottle because you can't transport open alcohol. So, you know, I'm a so I'm a gin drinker. Right. So so let's say somebody comes up and says they want, you know, a, a gin and tonic. I will pour them a gin and tonic. And if that's the only drink for the night, you have to buy the rest of the bottle from me. Um, for cost or slightly huh. above cost, not for full thing, but you know that that way, that way all that works. So I make my money doing the thing, and you leave with a couple liquor bottles. But anyway, that's my that's my business idea. Um, that's what I, I love would, that. That's what I would invest in. Um, which is probably why people don't give me large amounts of money. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Diana, let's go with you. What would what business would you start? Um, so it's more of a product and I actually mentioned this to my mom and she ripped me apart, but you guys won't get this, but I have long nails and a lot of parking out here in LA is street parking and you need to pay for it with the credit card. And sometimes there's a meter and I put my credit card in and my nails are too long to grip the credit card back out. And I either have to fiddle with it or like ask a kind stranger who looks trustworthy, like they won't run off with my credit card (laughs) to help me pull it out. So what I wanted to start was like a little keychain, like cute little beaded keychain with like little tweezers or something. So you could pull the credit card out of the parking meter. And my mom was like, absolutely not. Like if you went on Shark Tank with that, they'd be like, you could just use regular tweezers. And she spoiled my fun. So mm, that's there was no that. Fun. But I thought it would be cute. Like you could disguise it. Mm. Silly Janet and her lack of imagination. Right? <laughs> Rhea. <laughs> Dang it. It finally happened. I no think one I mentioned was going to guess time. her name. It finally happened. I, I do that every time somebody mentions them. I'm like, mm, silly, you know, Regina. And, and, and it's, they're never right. I was right last week and it made my whole week. Um, That's amazing. Nick, what probably yeah, to be fair, in? my mom's not a very common name, so it's, it's fair. fine. <laughs> All right, Nick, what you got? All right. So I am happy to report that somebody actually took this idea of mine that I had years and years ago when I was working at GameStop. And I, I just learned that there is an actual place where you can do this. But I've had this idea for a long time. Sports bars are great if you love sports. I am not a sports guy. Mm-hmm. But, mm-hmm. like, there are no other places for me. They don't make nerd bars. Like, so... <laughs> they I make barcades. Wanna... Barcades are, are a thing now? Yes, and that's where I'm going with it. Oh. I want to I want to create a food and bar atmosphere. However, in this place, the booths will have video game consoles at them. 
with okay. a selection of games and where you can play while you wait for your food, while you're talking. You know, what would be better than being able to play Mario Kart while you wait instead of, you know, just staring at each other, having a conversation? You could have a conversation and be having fun all oh, at the Nick, same time. I work in food service right now. Um, no, people don't <laughs> talk to each other while they're waiting on their food. They look, no, they they look at their they own look at their phones. Instagram feeds. Yeah. <laughs> you know why I really like your idea? Because barcades are fun. But in the time of COVID, you don't know who's touching all the machines. But at least at your table, you can wipe it down and yeah. know that you wiped everything down and you're in the company yeah. of your friends. And that, so I, mean, I support it. That'll be also the responsibility of the place. You've got waiters that clean yeah. up, busboys that take the stuff, sanitization of the hand, the controllers as well. So like, I Do always it. thought it would be fun if you could, like, I'd like to sit in the Xbox section this evening. Or could I sit with the Switch? <laughs> <laughs> like you have the reservations for certain areas, you have you know yeah. actual arcades stuff like that. I, I like, think the only thing cool. the only thing is you gotta like in, unless I, I I was more so thinking like if you got like a big arcade cabinet like you know Pac Man, but have one of those where you can play, you know, one of a choice of like thirty different Atari games. Yeah, or whatever. they make you know, so like, many emulators nowadays. That's true. Yeah, like I was thinking more so like you have one thing that has a bunch of different things. Not, but but I, but I also like the idea of Xbox section, PlayStation section. Well, I all mean. the new, the, yeah, all the cute. major consoles now, you can just load up games right onto the hard drives. So, you know, you just have one big server with all of the games loaded and connect it like like a LAN party. Nick, I would like to put a personal hold on whenever you start your restaurant, a personal <laughs> hold on the Guitar Hero section. Uh, oh. Love that. Yeah. yeah, I would. I would give you a run for your money sir <laughs> i love guitar hero we uh, played it like crazy in college it was amazing me too Same. man and it was it was when guitar hero was dead we were still playing it like crazy <laughs> we were it um, literally came out that generation year. so we were doing rock band but mm. yeah it was fun guitar hero rock live band came hit out when i was a senior Guitar Hero Live came out when I was in college. And for the record, I like Guitar Hero Live. I think it was super underrated and super underappreciated at the time. But yeah, we were playing uh, we were playing a lot of the like 10-year-old Guitar Hero games on, on an Xbox 360. So Amazing. Um, I still play Guitar Hero pretty frequently on my PS3. Um, and I also have an app on my computer called Clone Hero where you can hook up a guitar and um, like download a bunch of tracks, including like nice. user-made tracks. It's awesome. Guitar Hero 2 is my jam. A buddy of mine actually just texted me the other day like, hey, do you still have your Guitar Hero? And mm -hmm. I do. <laughs> the PlayStation yep. doesn't work, but I, but I still have it. <laughs> <laughs> uh, let's get on to talking about a couple different movies. Um, Dungeons and Dragons, Murder Mystery 2, Tetris. Let's start with the sequel. Um, Murder Mystery 2. Uh, a new movie coming out to Netflix this week. Adam Sandler, Jennifer Aniston, Netflix. If you've seen the first one, you kind of know like what you're in for. I mean, I, I would assume... I don't know. I mean, at least in like tone style, things like that. If you've seen an Adam Sandler movie coming out by Netflix, you should, right? Like you should kind of know what you're getting into. Um, looks like uh, Mark Strong and uh, Melanie Laurent also in this. Um, uh, Jodie Turner-Smith, um, Jillian Bell. So a bunch of people that we know and like. Uh, Murder Mystery 2, um, I got to know, the only thing in your... Um, hesitations to seeing this would be your own free will so we're gonna take um any sort of illness sickness covid anything like that out of the equation we're gonna take a budget and a schedule concern um out of your equation as well the only thing keeping you from seeing this movie is your free will are you gonna check it out in theaters are you gonna wait till you can 
um, rent it at home. Wait till it's on a streaming service or you already pay for, or are you just not interested in Murder Mystery 2? Diana, let's start with you. I haven't seen the first one. Um, I would still pick maybe streaming service I own because it doesn't seem like a bad movie. I like Adam Sandler. I like Jennifer Aniston. If it's a Friday night and I got nothing to do but drink beer, it might be something I pop on in the background. Sure. Uh, Nick, what you got? The only way I'm watching this movie is if I'm allowed to smack the producer of the first one because (laughs) it was so awful. At the end of it, I literally, all I could think of was that was the most insanely idiotic thing I have ever heard. And I, everyone in the room was now dumber for having watched it. That's a different Adam Sandler movie. so bad. I, I don't understand why people liked the movie at all, let alone a little bit. And it just, I, when they said they were making a sequel, I went, why? Yeah. Um... I'm going to go not interested for this one. I thought I remember like people saying this one was actually kind of good. I think that's just comparatively to the other Sandler, you know, anything Sandler's done since, you know, <laughs> a- anything he's done that hasn't been, you know, his serious stuff like Uncut Gems or whatever. But when when was the fall off for him? Because I kind of like Grown Ups, but he had made a bunch of crap before Grown Ups too. Like the fall off. When was like the fall off to where like Adam Sandler started making movies and you're like, oh, like these aren't really good anymore like well because little because, like, Nikki I, like, came out and that, Nikki, right? that well, sucked but then well, but, but like then he Water followed Boy, that up with something Big Daddy, good Mr. Deeds Billy Madison I loved 51st Dates 51st Dates is good yeah I think that he came out with yeah. 51st Dates after Little Nikki which was kind of a redemption I think Ooh, that Click I think was I know the pretty answer. good Prick, Click is fine I think I got the answer though it was fine like I think okay, the official bot low point is Jack and Jill isn't it <laughs> that was yeah, yeah when when they announced yeah. that movie the, after the trailer i was like no nope, i'm not going to see that I, so. like i feel like that's the official bottom but like like when was the start to the decline like maybe that's i now pronounce you chuck and larry or like which i think i haven't seen that movie in 10 years but i remember i think after thinking it was hilarious but after 51st dates up. i think he just kind of lost it like okay there wasn't as many well, he, I, he I had feel, one th- or two every now and again that was okay but like he was getting consistently worse. When those, it became the I want to take Jennifer Aniston and Steve Buscemi on a holiday. Yeah, and, exactly. Yeah. I mean, like you, know, and so you get stuff like just go with it or whatever. Yeah, I, I kind of like the first grown ups. First, second grown ups terrible, but I kind of like the first yeah, grown ups. I agree. But, first grown ups. Um, right. Anyway, I don't care at all about really anything Sandler does with his career. Um, he has he has earned a Hall of Fame status for comedians in pop culture. Um, even with all the crap, you know, he has earned I'll, I'll a Hall negate of Fame. what I just said. Uh, Hubie Halloween, not terrible. <laughs> Maybe that's the one that I heard was not terrible, but uh, <laughs> it was stupid. Don't get me wrong. It was it was very stupid, but yeah. it was not terrible. So. So, yeah, I feel like, uh, yeah, not interested. I mean, yeah, especially as long as like Netflix is producing. Them. I get it. I get why they do it. He's making a buttload of money for Netflix, but. Yeah, as long as he's making them, I'm not watching them. Um, let's move on to, since you were just talking about the barcade, kind of-ish, let's talk about Tetris, um, an Apple original film. So another streamer coming out March 31st, uh, starring Taron Edgerton. Um, uh, let's see. Uh, the story of how one of the world's most popular video games found its way to players around the globe. Businessman Hank Rogers. Hank? Wow, that's a fun name. 
Uh, and Tetris inventor Alexei something Russian um, joins forces in the USSR, risking it all to bring Tetris to the masses. Um, same scale. Um, theaters rent, streamer skip. What do you think, Nick? I am theaters all the way with this one. I saw the trailer and just it was hit with a wave of nostalgia because my dad had like an old Macintosh computer that we had the first Tetris on like right around when this movie is actually taking place and they put it out. And then uh, shortly after we moved to Tokyo, um, we my parents got us Game Boys and it came with Tetris. And in the trailer, they're like, we'll, we'll bundle it with Tetris. And I was like, I remember this. I, I, I'm so excited. I can't wait to see this movie because it looks so interesting. Nice. Uh, Diana? I'm going to skip it. I mean, it looks lovely for the audience, but like, I feel like I'm just not the target audience. Sure. Um, if it was a horror movie, I, right? Then Yeah. yeah. <laughs> if it was like Attack of the Tetris evil game, then like, hell yeah. Yeah, me too. I'm <laughs> in for that. Yeah. But yeah, I just, I don't know. I find it interesting. Like, I don't know, maybe if I'm craving, I, even though I know it's not a documentary, like maybe if I'm craving to watch something like that, I would put it on, but it's not Ooh, something yeah. I would necessarily seek out. Oh, yeah. Uh, I'm going to just land in the middle of you guys. I'll go um, uh, rent for the sake of being a little bit more on the positive side. Um, I, I think, uh, I mean, Apple TV's made some really good stuff and Taron Edgerton makes some really good stuff. And, um, you know, I, I like I like the idea of telling like these these moments in history that are like really focused, like spoiler alert for a couple weeks from now. I'm really excited about air. Um, like, Me the, too. like the Michael Jordan Nike one. I'm really excited because they're telling a story, like a very focused, you know, and like, I think like biopics should, are just better when they're focused on one moment in time. Um, you know, it, like I get the idea of wanting to span a whole career and something like that. And I think, I think like straight out of Compton worked really well at doing that, but like, um, you know, walk the line, I think, but like, I, I feel like more so when you focus on these specific one moments in time, but then if you actually stick to it, you know, so like if Bohemian Rhapsody would have been, you know, actually entirely focused around the Live Aid concert. Uh, but yeah, like mm. I, I really like the idea, you know, um, maybe if King Richard was a little bit more focused on, you know, getting the girls into somewhere decent, like maybe like make it more focused on one area and you get to, Anyway, that might have been um, like I like these kind of very focused because it just makes them feel like driven and like they're going somewhere like they're going to one place. You're not like, oh, they're just wanting to tell a story. You know, if if Elvis would have been just the stuff in Vegas, I would have loved Elvis. But instead, I kind of hated that movie, you know, mm-hmm. uh, and I think you could have told done everything that Elvis wanted to do entirely you know, by telling the story entirely in Vegas. So, uh Anyway, yeah, I agree. Um, when when they are focused, they're better. Like like Steve Jobs, it's just three days of his life. Yep, and it's it's compelling. It if you the more you zoom out, the less sucked in people will be. Sure. Um, I just gotta say, <laughs> you said King Richard, and all I can think of my mom is really bad at remembering the names of movies. Uh-huh. Um. 
like this year, instead of everything, everywhere, all at once, it was no way, no how, et cetera. Um, but King Richard, when, yeah, that was my favorite. I love it. When I'm going to start calling it no way, no how, et cetera. <laughs> please do. It's a thing now. Um, when King Richard came out, my mom so confidently, she was like, King William. And I was like, nope. Not That's quite. not it. <laughs> not quite. <laughs> it could have been worse. Like, you know how, like, when parents think that they got something right, but then they just say, like, a sexual innu- innuendo or something oh, that's, God, like, yeah. very not politically correct. And you're like, no, you really don't want to say that. I have some fun stories that I'm not going to repeat here. Maybe maybe when we're done <laughs> recording. But, uh, yeah. Uh, <laughs> remind me if you want to hear a, a fun story. Um, <laughs> um uh, Dungeons and Dragons, then. Uh, Dungeons and Dragons, Honor Among Thieves. Uh, Chris Pine, Michelle Rodriguez, Justice Smith, Hugh Grant, Sophia Lillis. Um, yeah, that's kind of your main hitters. Um, uh, written and directed by Jonathan Goldstein, John Francis Daly, and then also co-written by uh, Michael Gillio. Uh, what do you think about this one? Theaters rent stream or skip? I'm going to kick us off guys. I'm, I'm proud to say theaters for this one. And I have zero D and D experience. My, the entirety of my Dungeons and Dragons like experience. And I know that I look at, and sound and generally everything about like, feel like some guy that like does D and D on the regular, but I would not have the patience for a game like that. Um, my, my, mo- the most experience I have with that is stranger things season one. And, uh, um, this just looks so fun. And like, I like this goofy stage of Chris Pine's career. Like, I, f- I feel like all the serious stuff he's done has just been crap. And the stuff where he's like, doesn't take himself seriously at all has been just some of the best stuff he's been doing. I don't, let's see if I can back that up with his IMDB recently. Like, obviously like, I really like him as captain Kirk, but like, um, uh, let's see. I enjoyed him in Don't Worry, Darling. I have a love-hate relationship with that movie, but he killed it. Yeah, I he really was li- good in that. I really liked him in the What Hot American Summer Netflix shows. Um, so I, I thought he was really that. fun in The Horrible Bosses too. Um, where he doesn't work is Jack Ryan Shadow Recruit. Um, you know where he does work, um, Hell or High Water. You know where he doesn't work, <laughs> Wonder Woman nineteen eighty four. But that's not his fault, you know. Um, yeah. But like I don't know. Like I, like the contractor came out last year. I don't care about the contractor. Um, mm. Like I like this Chris Pine. the The selling point for me is the John Francis Daly, Jonathan Goldstein thing. After game night, I'll watch anything they did. Um, Diana, let's move on to you. What What do you think? I would stream it. Um, again, I'm not like exactly the right audience for this. However, I do like the cast enough. Also, Reggae Jean Page from Bridgerton is in it, and I love him. He's nice to look at. So, you know what? We'll stream it. We'll stream it with beer. That's that's my stream input. it with beer. I got I got to add yeah. a new tier. <laughs> yes, exactly. Theaters would stream. <laughs> stream with booze and friends. With beer. Yeah. Not interesting. Exactly. Yeah. Nick, what about you? Come on, tell me you're in the theaters with me. I'm in the theaters right there with you. I can't wait. I'm so excited for this. I, too, am not really that big into d and I I like it, and I've actually wanted to try it, but like the daunting task of actually doing it is really what's kept me out. And uh, I, But like I, I've listened to some Critical Role recently, and I've, I'm, I'm on the internet enough, and I talk to enough people who do play it. I get the jokes. I get all the inside stuff. So, like, when they threw D&D references in uh, the Pixar movie Onward, 
I caught them. I knew what they yeah. were doing. Yeah. So like now, now I'm ready for it to be more on the nose. And I just saw the other day that apparently the um, uh, Felicia Day and the uh, the the web series that she did, I can't remember the name at the moment. And uh, it was it was her and a bunch of people doing a D and D role play essentially. Um, apparently they make a cameo in the movie at some point, but they're like so far in the distance. You wouldn't even know it was them unless somebody pointed it out. The guild. That's it. Yeah. So the guild characters are going to show up in this movie, like, but just like in the background. Nice. So like the fact that they're, they're, they're doing little things like that says, I think they know what they're doing with this movie. Sure. I just, it just looks like fun. Every time the trailer comes on, I'm like, I shouldn't want to see this. You know, I should Mm -hmm. feel like when Warcraft came on and I'm like, I don't care. Um, But I'm excited. Um, So um, hopefully it's better than Warcraft. (laughs) Still haven't seen it, but um, let's move on. Uh, Before we get into the SIF topic, though, um, just a chance for people. If they've got to hear some things from you, if they want to hear more things from you, aside from the the contributors page, uh, which will guide them to, to places where. Um, would you like to like send people to like, Hey, here's where a lot of my thoughts are. Uh, Nick, let's start with you. I'm on Twitter at jagged 2319 and letterboxed as the same. Nice. I'm Diana Jebbia. I'm going to give you a spelling lesson. G E B B I A. Um, I'm on Instagram, TikTok. I talk a lot of reality TV news there. We are covering the Scandoval, uh, Vanderpump Rules fans. So hit me up there. Believe in Bravo Besties podcast. And then, of course, on Sif Pop. And I also write for Scribe Magazine. And I'm on the FNL Network talk show. So, like, take your pick. <laughs> I um, <laughs> I just found out about a show actually that I am um, like you mentioned trashy reality show and I've been yeah um, off of it for a while. I mean I I never really got into it, but then I got really into the first couple of seasons of Are You the One? But um, that's a good one. The first couple of seasons are yeah um, when yeah. Ryan's hosting yeah. Um, but I just came across in TikTok. A, a premiere for a show or a, a trailer for a show called Milf Manor. And oh my God. let me tell you that there is nothing higher on my TV queue, including Mandalorian season three than, than Milf Manor. <laughs> That's an interesting one. I watched the first couple of episodes just cause it was so ridiculous. And then like, I got caught in too many things I need to keep up with. So I kind of fell off, but I might, you know, binge it with beer. Nick, Nick, you are you are giving priceless faces. Let me let me give you the skinny. <laughs> they bring ten young guys that are, you know, like attracted to older women. Ten young hot guys that are attracted to older women, and they bring ten cougars that are attracted to younger, um, younger guys, and they you know do the whole reality show thing where they're just like, here, be hot and you know, racy and whatnot, right? The catches the twist is that they they are all moms of one of the kids oh my god (laughs) your reaction just so funny (laughs) oh good lord you just went from dear god aaron you are so like i could not care less what you have to say to sign me up i'm also that is an amazing (laughs) twist yeah Oh boy, every day we take a step further from the light and I am for it. <laughs> also, 
it premiered on TLC, the Learning Channel. So you know, yeah. Learning Channel. <laughs> well, you're definitely gonna learn, dude. Those guys are gonna learn some things. <laughs> yeah. Well, wait, how do they keep it quiet? Uh, they, I don't know. They just all showed up and they're like, and, and they do the reveal where like the guys get to see the girls and oh, you could just see two or three of them go, mom. And it's, oh man. So it was just a surprise yeah. at first. I thought, I thought maybe you were implying that they, they keep no. it a, no, no, they, no. Like, they somehow all... managed to keep the knowledge that their mom is involved here from them. Nope. Yeah. No. Nope, and then it gets it awkward. Cause like one got girl, like this one guy and then the sons became friends and then she's like, Oh, like, do you want to come to my room? And it's like so awkward. Yeah. Yeah. I'm Mm -hmm. thrilled. Um, (laughs) (laughs) uh, Also as a reminder, patreon.com slash sifpopwr. If you're interested in supporting the show, would appreciate uh, if, if that is something that you would desire to do, but as always no pressure to do so. Um, let's move on to the SIF topic. Uh, we should probably get going to talking about these things because um, I do have things to say about both these movies. Beetle- Beetlejuice and Big Fish. Hmm. How do we decide which one to go in with, with first? Do we go by film I have never seen or film that I saw once? Why don't we do film you saw once first and then okay. leave never seen for the end? Uh, the film I saw once before this was Big Fish. Um, so... Yeah, I know, right? Your reaction. Yeah. Um, here's all right, so here's the context is um, I think it was either eleventh or twelfth grade English class, and I can't remember the context of why they would show this. I also took a film lit class, and this feels like it might fall in there, but I don't remember it being in the curriculum, and I don't. We had a project assigned with every assigned with everything, and I don't remember there being a project. There's also a halfway decent chance that somebody had a sub for two or three days, or was like, I got a bunch of grading to do. I'm almost positive this was in my English teacher's class regardless. So I want to say just like 11th or 12th grade, she put this movie on at some point. So um, don't like, I don't, I don't remember anything about this movie other than um, I really liked it and hated the ending and almost so much that I just didn't really want to see it anymore. Um, but I was also kind of half paying attention by the time the ending comes around because I thought I remembered the ending is the father turns into a fish and swims away. And like, yes, that is the end. By the way, spoiler award alert, <laughs> uh, spoiler alert for both of these films. We'll be able to talk about them opening open and freely and all that. But like, I just remember thinking that is so dumb. And, um, and ultimately just thinking the movie had some really interesting things going for it, but not, uh, but enough that I didn't really ever care if I saw it again. But this film has like really highly rated stuff. And I know lots of people love it and, you know, come across it in a disc resale shop for about four bucks on Blu-ray. And yeah, I'm willing to give it a shot. So that's my history with the movie. Um, forgot to do the synopsis real quick. Um, a frustrated son tries to determine a fact from fiction in his father's dying life. Um, obviously directed by Tim Burton, as we met mentioned, main stars of this being Ewan McGregor, uh, Albert Finney, and Billy Crudup, but also got Jessica Lange in there, Helena Bonham Carter, Marion Cotillard from her first American performance. I know I'm butchering that. Sorry. Um, uh, Robert, Robert Guilla, uh, Guillaume, somebody please correct me on that. Cause that guy, you know, respect on his name. Nope. Okay. Um, <laughs> David Denman, um, Missy Pyle, lot, lots of uh, lots of people I think you would recognize, uh, and then and then Steve mm-hmm. Buscemi and Danny DeVito tossed in there as well. Um, okay, Big Fish. Um, 
Nick, I think you picked this. So Diana, what is you, your history with this movie before this week? This is actually one of the Burton Elfman movies I haven't seen. So I was looking forward to watching it. Um, I knew about the score, obviously, because I'm a, I call myself a Stanny Elfman. Uh, <laughs> like a, a that's Stan. amazing. I love nice. that. Yeah, I always I saw him at Coachella, and I was like, I used to be a Fanny Elfman, and then I became a Stanny Elfman. <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's, that's me. Um, so right yeah, I, I knew about the score. Um, I knew who was in the movie. I knew what it was about. Um, I actually did uh, one of Shane's. Show, Shane Conto's Wasteland shows, and we were talking about like top movies, and he had his on his list, so I knew I had to check it out. Yeah. Um, Nick, all right. Out of my list of something about 1,500 movies, you put your top answer as movie you want to talk about being Big Fish. I got to know why and your brief history with this movie. Uh, Big Fish is my favorite d- Tim Burton directed movie. I saw it opening. Not maybe not opening weekend, but definitely very close to opening weekend. Um, I was home for Christmas break um, at my first for my first year of college, and this was a movie that um, me and my now wife, when we had first started dating, this was one of our first few dates together because we went to different mm-hmm. schools. So after our first date, um, we didn't really see each other until Christmas break. So we went and saw this, and I just. I already loved all of Tim Burton's stuff, but uh, the way that he was just a little more subtle and this was more hopeful, normally his stuff's a little more darker and macabre. And this one is just more like fairy tale esque. And Mm -hmm. I just, I, I fell in love with the movie as it just kept going. I just fell in more and more in love with it. And then at the end, I became just a puddle when he, when he takes his when he's telling his dad the story and he takes his dad to the the river and everyone's there and i just i i just broke down and here i'm sitting next to this girl i really like that i've only been out with a few times and uh i'm like trying not to let her see me like just completely like a mess because yeah. it just yeah, this it was, is 2003. Guys so couldn't cry in 2003. We yeah. were not allowed to cry until only about 7 years ago. So and yep. especially if you were born before the 90s. So yeah. Yeah. I I was trying my damnedest. And it just, the movie really touched me emotionally. And uh, I got it on DVD as soon as it came out. When it came out on Blu-ray, I upgraded. It just, it's one of those movies that I've just loved ever since. I watch it pretty much every couple of years just to refresh myself. Nice. Um, okay, Nick, you're going to kick us off because, uh, I feel like, uh, we can like this, we can typically tell when this is where this is going to go. Uh, do you like it, love it, hate it, dislike it, or think it's just okay? I'm on the extreme high side of just okay. No, I'm, I, I love it. <laughs> I love this movie. It is, like I said, my favorite direct Tim Burton directed movie. It's not my favorite Tim Burton movie, but it's my favorite mm. one that he directed. Uh, okay, Diana, um, also fellow first-time Big Fish watcher, do you like it, love it, hate it, dislike it, or think it's just okay? I'm gonna go with like it. Um, Nick, I actually take, like, an opposite viewpoint of you. No one's gonna be surprised at this. Like, I like the macabre Tim Burton. Um, like, that's one of my favorite things about him. And we did 
kind of get that like with the circusy scenes but i i just that's what i love when i watch a tim burton movie so for it to be lacking i it didn't have that wow factor for me but i can appreciate it for a beautiful story a beautiful score of course and a wonderful cast i can really appreciate it for the piece of art that it is mm. oh, i definitely um, like his macabre stuff that's yeah. I just I liked being able to see him do something different too. Like yeah. he oh yeah, he, he does it fair. all. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um all right. I am on the like it, love it, hate it, dislike it, think it's just okay skill. I am also just in the like it. Um there are moments that I love this film and there are moments that I really don't care what's going on. Um, and I think here's what I'm getting at. Um, I think this movie is in the firm loved it camp all the way up until Ewan McGregor meets the wife at the circus. Um, Mm. maybe even up until he actually meets her, like even in pursuit of her. Um, I am firmly in loved it. And I, I guess, all right, let's just throw in the scene where he like meets her. Cause I think that's a good scene where, you know, she's engaged to be with somebody else and we get like the cutaway to him, you know, having a heart attack on the toilet with a playboy in his hand. You know, um, that's how I want to go. But um, the <laughs> 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 no, um, but the yeah, at like 30 years old or whatever he was, he's young. Anyway, um, I wasn't young at all. A, so <laughs> um, anyway, the <laughs> um, the. I just, I really like this movie. I think it has a lot of charm. I think it has a lot of charisma. I think it has a lot of, again, kind of like you said, it has some of the macabre in the in the in the circusy kind of things. It has a really weird energy to it, and I really like like the weirdness that is going on. Like I love, like the 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 pre- the premise that it doesn't really tell you in the beginning is that Edward Bloom is visited. He visits a witch when he's a kid and the witch shows him how he's going to die. And so like, there's kind of this like invincibility to him and this like stubbornness and pride where he's like, yeah, like I think one of my favorite moments of the film was when he's getting attacked by the tree on his way out of specter. And he's just like, and then I remembered this isn't how I die. So I just like <laughs> left. Uh, and like, I think like there's really fun things going on there. And then the film just loses all of its magic. Um, as soon as, like he start, he does the uh, as soon as he settles down, and that's like just over half of the film. I'd say maybe sixty percent of the film is the is like is the rest of it. I don't know, maybe I'm wrong. Mm-hmm. Um, so either way, I just feel like I I I saw Robert's letterboxed review for this, and it's 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 he said Forrest Gump without the charm, and I absolutely agree with that for the second half of the movie. Uh, Mm -hmm. but I think this movie is delightful in the first half. So it's almost one of those. I love the second half and I am like on the low side of just okay for the second half. And so that kind of leaves me in like it. Um, this isn't going in my cell pile because I like that first, you know, 50 ish minutes so much. Mm -hmm. I'll also just say, I really hate the ending of this movie still. Um, but we'll get there. So, um, that's kind of my initial, I can understand that. Under not not really digging the second half makes sense, especially if you were enjoying the first half. Because as the movie progresses, I you you go along with Billy Crudup. He's trying to find out, you know, the truth to all of these stories. And the the more truth that he discovers, the less whimsical his father's stories that were being told mm. actually are. 
Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I, I was actually wondering if you would, what you would think of the part with the when he finally does meet the the, the future wife because, like, it plays. That's the part of the movie that I don't particularly care for either because it's at that point that things start to get a little bit more realistic and yeah. less whimsical. They just get normal and, and boring. I I wish they had gone gone a little bit more realistic sooner actually because I really I I think that him the way that he woos the wife in the stories is very 90s early like like yeah. oh I'm just I'm going to love you until you love me back it's almost kind of stalkery but like in the tone of the movie it works and I would have sure. liked to have seen what their real relationship was like. Cause like, then he goes to war and you can see that she's just as in love with him, but I don't think the movie quite earns it with his storytelling. And I would have liked to have seen glimpses of, Oh, that's like when he says like, Oh wait, that story of dad getting lost in battle actually <coughs> happened. Like I would have liked to have seen another example of, Oh, you mean the way that you two fell in love was actually like this, because I think there's there's more to it. The way that these two, like Albert Finney and, um, oh, what's her name? Jessica the, the wife. Jessica yes. Lang? Yes. The way that those two interact together, you could just tell that they're so deeply in love, even how many years later. So, like, how did that love actually start? I think that yeah, the scene where she climbs the into the bathtub missing... with him was like yes. ch- super charming and delightful. Yeah, they they were so good together. I I really wish they had shown us more of that. But then it it does make sense for the way that the story is then progressing because then he learns about uh, Jenny and the house and he thinks his dad's ha- was having an affair and and just yeah. reality crashes in until it finally gets to the end where the doctor says, do you want to know the real story of how you were born? It wasn't really that exciting. Was it? I suppose okay. I'd rather it be more whimsical. So, um, first of all, I also think Billy Crudup is doing really good in this role. Um, I was surprised at how much I like him. At one point I thought maybe like, because the, the similarities, I think Billy Crudup looked a little bit more, looks a little bit more like, uh, um, Albert Finney than Ewan McGregor and so to me I was just like so it makes sense that Billy Crudup would play the younger but I don't know that he could play the whimsical as well as he, as Ewan McGregor does like you know when he's like mm. talking to the giant and he's like I'll go with you like he's he's just he's just so cute and like yeah. whimsical <laughs> and charming and full of hopes and aspirations all that anyway um, I think Billy Crudup's doing really good in this role and I just I mostly like um, I just like how he um, I, I saw a lot of myself in him as well. Um, n- you know, just that intro scene where his dad hijacks his own wedding just felt very real to me. Um, and I have a g- good relationship with my dad too. You know, decent. I'm probably similar, I would say, to to Billy Crudup here. But, um. But yeah, like I thought it was a really like I thought it was I really connected to him well. And so I I really appreciated his his strive for just wanting to find out who his dad actually is, because all all he's been told is these mythical stories. And and that's all his dad ever does. Every time we see him as a child, it's just his dad telling the big fish story. And and he's like, I'm a footnote in that story. Like it's it's such a he's I really empathize with that character. And that's also I think the reason why. Nick, you touched on it a little bit earlier with the scene with the doctor. Um, 
let let me let me tell you what I interpret this movie as. I interpret this movie as saying that the whimsical is more memorable than the normal. And mm-hmm. Albert Finney, the Ed Bloom, is trying to be remembered. And the way he's doing that is by telling these larger than life story, which there is probably some truth to, but are greatly over-exaggerated. Um, so am I, am I, am I right in, in saying like, that's what the movie is, is essentially doing? I think yeah. so. I, th- I think it's a, a combination of that. And, you know, Edward Bloom fears not death. He fears being forgotten. And so, like, yeah. when he sees he sees how he's going to die in the eye, it doesn't bother him. And he doesn't let how he's going to die ruin his life. But mm-hmm. he then lives his life telling these fantastical stories, which, you know, to him, maybe actually weren't as adventuresome as he'd like them. He'd like them to be. But he knows that by jazzing them up and making them more fun it's it's not only a way for him to remember his own life fondly which he might have considered like he 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 worked on the road he was away from his family a lot he he probably felt bad about that he probably did not like that sure and so he mm-hmm. he made these fantastical stories to tell his son you know like don't don't worry like i'm not i'm not alone i'm not bored i'm not scared i'm not sad on the road i i have all these adventures and like i'll come home and i'll tell you all of these adventures not realizing what that was then doing to his son as his son got older and so at the end when when they have the flip where where albert finney he's he's clearly very scared that this is the end but he also then is allowing uh, Billy Crudup to then take over and tell the story. And for, for once he's the one getting told the bedtime story and mm. it's to make him feel okay. We tell kids bedtime stories so that they go to sleep and they have pleasant dreams and they're not scared at night. And now he's doing that for his dad. And when he becomes the one that, that then embraces the whimsical and tells the fantastical story it's it's him then also accepting that his dad was only human and he had this real fear of being forgotten and now i mean the way that it ends with them all on the beach and or on, on the shore of the river and then how it then quickly transitions to the funeral and it pans out and there are just so many people at his funeral that it's just like he won't be forgotten like he was afraid that he would be and you as the audience get to see, no, he won't be. Everyone's telling stories about him and, and everyone kind of has that idea. Like, yeah, we know he told tall tales, but like you can see from the people at his funeral that those tall tales all had a a relative amount of truth to them. And I just, I just think it's so beautiful the way that it, it flips their perspectives at the end. All right, Dana, it's been a while. (laughs) Um, I want to go off (laughs) what you said about, you know, making things more whimsical and the tall tales of it all, but there's still being some element of truth. Like my brain, I always put a damper on things, but I kind of related that to 
when you get into an argument with someone and you're replaying it in your brain, but you can't remember all the details and everyone has a different side of the story. And even though we're not making a whimsical tale out of it, it's still something we deal with. Hopefully not in everyday life, but you know, my point is retelling things and replaying things is something we all relate to on a basis. And for them to make a whole movie out of this is very interesting because I don't think that's a topic we normally, even though it's something we do, I don't think it's something we normally discuss, right? Like you're not going to be like, when I told this memory, I don't remember this little detail of it. And so I might've embellished it or whatever, but the way to tell that story and then to put it through the father and the son's eyes and really have that relationship and the heartwarming ending. I like the ending for what it's worth. Um, I loved how it panned out into the funeral and seeing everyone like I might have got a little weepy there. But yeah, I just thought it was a really interesting telling of, of something we all do in our everyday lives, but don't necessarily give a second thought to it. Mm. I agree. I, I, here, I'll give you a Sif Pop exclusive. I met Stan Love Lee it. once. Ooh. All right. So I was at a Comic-Con and I was waiting for friends to show up and I was walking around and I accidentally bumped into a person as I was walking by. It was a group of people. I bumped into a person and uh, I turned and I said, sorry. And the person said, oh, no worries and kept on going. But I realized in that moment that it was Stan Lee and... <laughs> The way I tell that story is I immediately said, oh, my gosh, Stan Lee, which I did actually say once I ran back to catch up to him and said, I'm so sorry I bumped into you. Stan Lee turns, says, great to meet you, shakes my hand and walks away. And that was the best day ever. I cut out the part, though, when I tell that story that I had to run back over to him to then like really because it clicked like that with Stan Lee. Mm. Because the story just tells better. Like, I turned mm -hmm. around. I said, oh, my gosh, Stan Lee. He shook my hand. And then he walked away. It's a better story that way. But, like, everything still happened. I just cut out a little detail where I literally lost my brain for a second. So, like, <laughs> we, we all embellish our stories. And I think that I, I really love the way this movie really calls to light on it. Mm. Yeah. All right. Um, I love... The, the idea that Edward Bloom lives larger than life because um, because he knows how he's going to die. And so because of that, he's not afraid to live in the moment. I am much more interested in the story where that is the overall message. Um, and so, That's like, good. I'm, and, and I'm much more interested in a movie where maybe there is even a twist ending where the kid never actually saw, he was offered to see his death, but he never actually saw his death. And Edward Bloom just decided, doesn't matter how I die, I'm going to live as if, you know, I this is not going to be the thing that kills me until something kills me. You know, um, I think I think both of those are better movies and better messages. Um, and because I like the idea that Edward Bloom, I like the idea that, the way that Albert Finney tells these stories is the way that things actually legitimately happened. Um, I mm -hmm. think that makes a really fun, interesting, very Tim Burton-y movie. Um, and, and I, I hate to disagree with you, Nick, because I do like what you, I, I love what you just said and I love how like we, it shows, we kind of all embellish our stories a little bit to make them better. Um, 
I think I think your Stan Lee story is is a very excusable, very understandable way of doing that. <laughs> but by embellishing an entire lifetime, his memory is getting passed. But that's not actually Edward Bloom. Um, and so I I hate the ending of this movie. The message being your normal life isn't extraordinary enough. Um, that's that's what I see this movie as is that unless Edward Bloom had been a part of this bank robbery and gone to the circus and met the world's giant man and left this town that he was essentially the king of to go you know, lead this giant astray, right? And the captain of the football team and the baseball team and all these things. Like, Ed- Edward Bloom, at the end of his life, was nothing. The-, the-, the movie says Edward Bloom, at the end of his life, was nothing if we tell the truth. And I I hate that. I, I think that's oh, I a don't, terrible I message. don't think that's what they're saying at all. I think yeah. the movie is saying he was all of those things, but to him... He had to embellish because we all have that self-deprecatingness to us where we d- we may be great people and people like us. But at the end of the day, I'm still going, Aaron's never going to want me back on my po- that podcast. He's 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 <laughs> going to realize that I'm just I don't know what I'm talking about. He's he's never going to ask me back. He he's probably so annoyed talking to me constantly like I that's how. A lot of us are, and I think that's mm-hmm. how Edward Bloom was. He was afraid that that people wouldn't see all the amazing things that he did unless he jazzed them up. He couldn't. He couldn't see how great he was just as a person. He saved a whole town from being demolished. Like that. That on its own would have been enough for him to be remembered, but he didn't think it was worthy enough mm-hmm. to be remembered for. I understand the angle you're taking. I do not agree with it. Okay, that's fair. And I I hope I hope that what you are saying is actually the way that it was. Is that is that Edward Bloom was so caught up in trying to make himself be remembered that he lost the lives he actually affected along the way. I think that's a really powerful story where you're just like he's so concerned about making sure that, you know, people you know, experienced him in the moment or whatever, that when it came time to the end of his life, no, nobody would remember that he, you know, saved the city from a giant and then saved this, the other city specter, you know, um, from uh, um, like financial ruin and things like that. I, I think, I think there's so many really interesting could be messages in this movie, but I, I watched this movie and the takeaway I have is, when the son agrees to embellish his story, that's where it really becomes clear that it's Edward Bloom's life is not important unless it's embellished. Um, So that's where I, that to me, the moment where the son starts giving in and he starts telling the completely ridiculous story about the way that his, you know, dad dies or he rushes him down to the hospital and you knock the card over and he takes him into the river and he turns into a fish um yeah i see i see that's the moment where i realized this movie is saying that ed bloom is not worth remembering unless you crank it up to 11 unless you unless you lie to tell about who he is and i just, i can never get behind that 
I just feel like his lies almost make his personality, like give him heart, give him remembrance, not in the way that people are remembering him because of the lies, but it's like they remember him for that whimsical guy. You know what I mean? Yeah, he was a storyteller. They remember him for his fun stories. Yeah. Yeah, but his stories that he yeah, specifically like it's, it's lied hard. about. like. But I mean, were they really lies? I mean, I feel like that's a little too black and white. Like, I think, so he embellished right. the fact that the twins didn't actually share a pair of legs. Like, I don't think anyone think, actually mm-hmm. thought that they did. I think I think a lot of it comes in into believing how much is embellished. And I think there's a line early on where he said where he's talking about the birth narrative and, and Billy Crudup says that the you know the stories get more wild every time. Um, you know, and it's the scene where he's delivering birth. So initially, like you think it's just gonna be normal birth, and then it's the baby slides down the hall and goes into three people's legs, right? Like uh, to me, that's the moment. Like I pair that moment in my head with later, with just realizing. So if every time he tells this story, it it becomes farther from the truth. What is the actual truth? You know, and and I think it's and I think the I think the problem is you you are seeing the way you experience this movie, Nick, is is essentially like editing this podcast. Where you're like, I'm just tightening things up to make it sound, which, by the way, nobody edits this podcast. Um, <laughs> uh, I'm lying now, Aaron. <laughs> obviously. But, well, I used to for the first, like, 50 or 60 episodes or so. Uh, I think longer than that, actually. But um, but the but the idea being, um, I, the, the way you see his embellishments is essentially like he's, he's, he's making them tighter more memorable stories for the sake of storytelling and the way i view it is something more along the lines of saying you fought godzilla when in reality you saw a small lizard go across your driveway and you stepped over it or crushed it or something you know you killed a spider on the on your wall the one time therefore you killed you have the spider from harry potter you know the the big one in the creature every beat like like that's like that's the yeah. way that I I view this is by saying you've you've turned but but like I guess the difference being Edward Bloom did do great things in his life I'm just saying it's it's hard for me to believe what is actually what what is actually true and because it's hard for me to distinguish the truth I don't feel like Billy Crudup knows his father any more than he did at the beginning of the movie than at the end. Um, I will agree that 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 is probably one of the more negatives that I have that by the end of it, he was given maybe two examples, two or three examples of how there were there was more than just a grain of truth to his stories. But I I, like I said, with the the him, the the mother and how they, they fell in love, I I think that they should have given us a few more like definitive things because right now you are billy crudup you you're sitting there and you're saying i don't i don't know who this man is because everything he's told me was a lie and i'm saying i i don't think it actually was a lie i think he just embellished a little because you eventually come to realize that when when everyone shows up at the funeral and the giant is just a really tall guy and he's still relatively the same he's just not nearly as tall like you start to understand, oh, 
these things did happen. He just, he tweaked details. Like, he, they all have a modicum of truth to them. They're just made more fantastical so that I th- it's a I think fun here's where story. we are disagreeing. You are seeing the embellishments as small, and I am seeing them as big enough that I no longer consider them embellishments. I consider them straight up lies. I think that's where we're you disagreeing. black and white about it. <laughs> no, I'm not black and white about it necessarily, because I, I agree, like a little embellishment can go a long way, but we're not we're not talking about, you know, you know I'm a hockey guy. We're not talking about, you know, making sure to whip your head back when somebody's stick gets really close to your face so you hope the ref calls high sticking even though it didn't actually touch your face we're talking about the other player was never even near you the other player was on the bench you were alone on one end of the rink you know whipping your head back like do you see the high stick i don't think he is i i think i think very <laughs> much so he's he's he went he went to specter he he went to specter too early it might not have been a beautiful mystical fairy tale land but it was a, it was a great place that he would have happily ended up in. He he maybe he didn't plant a whole field of, of dandelions for his wife, but I'm willing to bet you that he did fill their front lawn, like their front yard, sure. maybe with them. Like the giant, he wasn't as big. The twins, they actually had their own legs. Like all of these things happened. He worked at the circus. He he did. Danny DeVito really turn into a, mm. a wolf? Probably not, but I'm willing to bet you that maybe they got drunk one night and because they got drunk and spent some time together, Danny DeVito opened up with him and you're not going to tell your son, oh yeah, I got totally wasted with this dude and then I saw him naked when he came out of the forest. In the yeah. No, you he, he was a wolf. He turned into a monster and then it turns out he just needed to be loved. Like all of these stories, Can I ask they have... You- more than a bit of truth to them and he's he's definitely tweaking them all so that they sound better but they're not they're not lies i i I can't agree with the fact that they're definitely not lies either way at the at the end of the movie we get down to this point where edward bloom doesn't believe he is good enough to be remembered unless his stories are larger than normal and that's a character even flaw the, of his. Even though we recognize that his story is larger than normal. And I, yeah, I. All right, fine. That's a character flaw. Um, that's, that's What is Diana going to say? Yep, I'm, I'm ready. I need to know, and I swear this is relevant. Do you guys know what zodiac signs you are? Because now, like, two opposite. <laughs> I no, do, I but I, I also am tempted to screw with you and say I'm something different just to see what your reaction is. When's your birthday? I'm looking it up right now. Just on Hold Sunday, on. so I'm a Pisces. Yeah, yeah, okay. I can buy that that's a Pisces. 100%. Actually, I'm not. I'm a Taurus. 100%. So, ha! Are you really? No, I'm a Pisces. I was going to say, no. I'm like, you're definitely a Pisces. You don't strike me as a Taurus at all. I dated I'm one of those. I'm an Aquarius. Aquarius? I'm an Aquarius, too. Oh, that's I'm so January interesting. Because, like. Okay, I'm February 9th. Well, you're January Aquarius. But I, I just thought I was gonna say for sure I thought you were a Capricorn because they're very like these are the these are this is the logic. This is how it is. I am very but, logic very focused, okay. but I'm just I'm just saying it, it is a character flaw, but I feel like the movie is even trying to illustrate to say that like the only the 
and maybe it's because I love the first half of that movie so much. And and I think maybe even there, like I think there's even a point of Tim Burton making the movie. I mean, kind of like you alluded to earlier, making it more boring and normal in the second half, um, because because he's actually finding out more of the truth to his father. And so like, I don't know, maybe that's the movie playing on me and be like, Hey, you hated the second half of the movie. Cause that's reality. And you're not interested in the movie about <laughs> Edward Bloom as a normal person. You're only interested in him, you know, when he's taking literal giants to eat sheeps to, you know, New York city. And on the way they stop at a circus, you know? Uh, so I, yeah, I just, so in other words, I, I, you are exactly what Edward Bloom was trying to. You remember him for his stories. You won't remember him for the things that he actually did, but you will remember his stories, and therefore you'll remember him. Here's the way I view the. Here's the way I view this. I, if I am Billy Crudup's kid, and I hear story, I hear the stories that he tells about Edward Bloom. I will never believe that I knew my grandpa. And I don't think I will ever have actually known my grandpa. I think because of who Billy Crudup is throughout the movie, even if at, even if at the end he's willing to placate his dad's stories, I think you will be more likely to have gotten more of the truth than the tall tales. Like he might still tell the stories as tall tales, but I think mm-hmm. as he's a ki- when he's a kid, because like when you're a kid, like everything's wondrous as a kid but like as you grow up and i think which is which is demonstrated by billy crudup especially at the wedding uh how he's just over it he's just done he he is so tired of hearing these stories and the the problem is that edward never understood why he was tired of hearing the stories because everybody else loves them because everyone else didn't grow up with them and feel overshadowed by them because he was never around he Edward doesn't realize that. So he is a flawed character, but I don't think it's he's flawed because he's telling lies. I think he's flawed because he doesn't he doesn't see that his son wanted a relationship with him. He thought he was giving him the relationship, but his son wanted something more concrete. Yeah. Uh-huh. I honestly, Nick, like you're taking all the words out of my mouth, especially the thing with like, as you're a kid, you know, like it's like a bedtime story and you believe the whimsical, but like as an adult, like I'm not going to believe in a giant and I'm not going to believe in a werewolf and I'm going to connect the dots and figure out what was real. Okay. I might believe in a werewolf, but not a giant. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. No, absolutely not. That's funny. I think there's just oh different God. ways we view this movie, and we just kind of have to agree to disagree. Fair enough. Uh, <laughs> I th- I think I look. I think all my thoughts are summed up in I love I the first forty five ish minutes. <laughs> I think the rest of the movie is incredibly boring, and uh, even the bank robbery scene. I was like, oh, I don't even like this. Is shouldn't this be exciting? Um, <laughs> you know, Steve Buscemi doing another bank robbery scene. I thought this yeah. was supposed to be good. Um, you know. Big Fish is a prequel to Reservoir Dogs. You heard it here first. Um, uh, or I guess <laughs> parallel, maybe alternate universe, whatever. Uh, <laughs> oh Mr. God. Orange is actually... You know, whatever. That's great. I don't even know if he's orange. He's Mr. Whatever. That's great. Uh, so, uh, yeah, like, great. I think the movie starts off great, hits a wall, becomes boring, becomes unoriginal, uh, becomes just kind of a slog, and then, and then just has a really complexing ending that I personally don't like. Um, so, okay. Um, 
Do you have any other thoughts on the movie just before we we move on? I really like the Pearl Jam song that they play over the closing credits. Aside from the, oh, yeah, yeah. the, the, the Danny Elfman score is beautiful in it, and I really do love yeah. it. But uh, I really like that. I think it's the perfect song to end the movie, which you probably won't <laughs> like since you don't like the ending. <laughs> All right. Let's get into a movie that I think is significantly less subjective. Um, Beetlejuice. Okay. Um, I have no history with this movie. This is a movie that like, I can obviously recognize. It's got very iconic uh, cover art. Um it's a movie that I think, like, man, if the internet would have exi- would have been, like, the way it is in the 90s, I feel like this would be, like, the me- most memed movie of all time. Um, I'm not sure. I'm not sure how much this movie is translated to, like, you know, audiences more my <laughs> age and younger, other than with, like, a parent showing it, showing them this, this film. But, like, I think this is one that just hasn't quite aged as well as I think... Tim Burton and Michael Keaton wanted to in terms of like its relevance in culture. Although there's a sequel coming and the sequel is going to have Jenna Ortega mm-hmm. in it. And so Jenna Ortega will get butts and seats right now. So, um, yeah. okay. Um, I knew nothing about this movie coming in. Um, I thought Beetlejuice was the star and, uh, <laughs> Oh no. <laughs> uh, so yeah, I knew nothing about this movie going in and, uh, had no idea literally anything other than Michael Keaton in what many consider his most iconic role. Um, you know, um, and Tim Burton and like peak Tim Burton, Burton, you know, this is Tim Burton at the height yeah. of his powers. Yeah. So mm-hmm. that is my history with the movie. Uh, um, Nick, um, Diana picked this one. So Nick, what is your history with Beetlejuice? I've watched this movie probably since it came out. Uh, my parents, it, it was one of the movies I think we had on, v- either we had it on VHS or we taped it off of TV and we just watched it all the time. And as a kid, I was definitely bored by the first half of the movie. And I also, like, I didn't know... Like when I was older and I started rewatching it more, <clears throat> that first time after it had been a while, I also forgot that Michael Keaton's not really in this movie a lot. Like Beetlejuice is not at all a main character. Um, and I think that part of the problem is because I also watched the cartoon growing up and the cartoon mm. is Lydia and Beetlejuice 100% of the time, all the time. So like that yep. and and the dynamic there is also a ton different. So that painted my memories of the movie some, but like, as I got older and started to watch it more, like this is one that it just, the comedy just hits every time for me. Like I, there, there are so many moments that be not even Beetlejuice related that I just, I just die watching. Like I think Catherine O'Hara is just perfect. Like I can't believe that she's not in more things between then and, and Shit's Creek. Like, I feel like she disappeared for forever. And she's the uh, best in show in a mighty wind. I have a very unfortunate uh, gap in my list of shame. I have not seen a ton of the Christopher Guest stuff. So, yes, she is. She's fantastic in all of those things. But uh, but yeah, I, I just I think she this is the first role of hers that I think I, I had ever seen her in. And then, of course, she was in Home Alone. But uh I just I, I I always go back to this one and Beetlejuice is just 
it's so wacky. Like, I just, I love it. It is wacky. Uh, all right, Diana, um, your history with the movie, and then out of the 1,500 movies that I showed you, uh, you decided to pick this one. Uh, tell me why. Um, so literally once again, Nick has stolen the words out of my mouth. Cause I was going to bring up the cartoon. Like I had, again, watched the movie when I was younger, didn't really love it when I was younger because I wasn't into scary stuff up until recently. And this to a child could be perceived as scary. Um, the cartoon I absolutely love. So when I finally rewatched it again, I was shocked. I'm like, where's Beetlejuice? This movie's about him. But the reason why I picked this movie, I absolutely love it. I find this story so endearing. I love the Maitlands. I think they're an adorable couple. You know, I love how Lydia becomes their child that they couldn't have in a way. Um, I think every kid who considered themselves an outcast at one point or another, you can relate to Lydia in some way. She's by far one of my favorite, favorite characters of all time. Like I have a keychain that says strange and unusual. I cross-stitched a sampler that says I myself am strange and unusual. Um, I love, obviously I love the scoring. I also love the mix of Harry Belafonte music in there because it's so, it's so random, but it works. You know what I mean? And now those are unofficial, like, Halloween songs. Like, you can't think of Halloween without hearing Jump in the Line or Deo. And I, I just, I think this movie perfectly captures, like, the, the alternative scene or, like, the underground scene. It's for misfits, and it's kooky, and there's humor. There's humor for kids. There's humor for adults. Like, it's got everything, you know? And it's so weird. <laughs> I love how weird this yes. movie is. Yeah. Yeah. Um, all of that is <laughs> interesting. Um, okay. Hmm. Oh, boy. I was Beetlejuice for Halloween in the first grade. I oh. love that so much. Um, I, I, I also um, wanted to, to point out that my wife watched this movie with me because um, there is a musical based off of this movie and then she played I really me want to see songs. that um, she played me a few of the songs afterwards to, to kind of see so um, also if I could quick backtrack did you guys notice Blink and You'll Miss It Miley Cyrus and Big Fish I did notice no. because I was searching IMDB before the movie started and I saw her thing so I it's, was looking it, for it's like a quick pan when uh, when Ed is young growing up there's like a pan in the church and she's in like the very first pew she, well, wasn't she the oh little my God, girl I need to that check went that with out. them to, the, sem- to the, the witch's house? Oh, yeah, I think you're right. I only noticed her in the pew. I think I was like still taking care of something on my computer when the witch's house thing happened. So, yeah. Um, okay. There was an old NES game, Beetlejuice, on the original Nintendo that was yeah. 100% the most like impossible game to play. And... I tried it so many times, but I just, I don't think we were able to get past, like, one stage, let alone have any idea how to beat the game. All right, well, let's get into it. Diana, Beetlejuice, do you like it, love it, hate it, dislike it, or think it's just okay? All right, Diana. Oh, my God. Beetlejuice, do you like it, love it, hate it, dislike it, or think it's just okay? I absolutely love this movie. I think this is one of my comfort movies. I just turn on 
when I want to watch something and I already know how it goes, but I still enjoy it. I'm obsessed with the culture. I'm obsessed with the characters. Like, literally, we'll never get bored of this movie. Nick, do you like it, love it, hate it, dislike it, or think it's just okay? Well, I attended Juilliard, and I did some Harvard Business School. I did an extensive traveling throughout the world. I lived during the Black Plague, and I've seen this movie 167 times, and it keeps getting funnier every time I see it. Yes, I love this movie so much. That's perfect. What a perfect way to segue into the fact that I think Beetlejuice is a movie that you either love or hate, and oh, I no. loved it. Uh, oh, yay! <laughs> yay! We did God. it! We I did really it! Worried. Podcast over! Okay. <laughs> I was worried for a My second. I hated it, but I loved it. Oh, no. <laughs> she, said, she said the only reason she was actually interested in watching it because she knew there was the musical, and um, she had heard one or two songs from it, but she's like, I have no desire to see that again, and I would go see the musical if we got tickets for free, but I'm like, no, I actively want to go now. So like, if she doesn't want to go, go with, with you, me, I will go. It, I deal. can't wait to see that musical. Uh, so yeah, no, I, I, I'm like really interested in, in that. Um, yeah, th- I think, I think part of it was, I, I had no idea what this movie was supposed to be about. And I, I was just shocked. And honestly, all right, I'm going to maybe say something here that, uh, that is going to be considered heresy. I think Beetlejuice is the worst part of this movie. Um, I can see where you're coming from. I can I can see it. I don't necessarily agree, okay. but I can understand how you arrived well, there. Here's the thing. Like, I, I, I think Michael Keaton is giving a great performance, and I think that Beetlejuice like is a is a really f- like interesting character. I'm just super interested in in Gina Davis and Alec Baldwin as these normal people thrown into the afterlife, trying to figure out how to get these people out of their house. Not because they don't want to share a house with people, but because they are destroying the, like, thing that made their home their home. Like, they're coming in and trying to turn an old country home modern. Uh, and, like, and they're like, I don't want you to ruin my house. Like, I, I, and I think the movie is hilarious. And it's really, like, cr- visually creative. Like, the first time that they try to scare everybody and Gina Davis hides in the closet and rips off her face. I'm like, what the hell? Like... Um, yeah like i wasn't expecting that and then later we see the sandworms and uh um like i think i think there's also a lot of really interesting going things going on where like sometimes you can tell that they are on a set that is like deliberately meant to be look to to look fake like like it's the prop city Mm -hmm. i think i think there's so much attention to detail in this movie i i love watching it the humor absolutely lands for me um, it's a brisk 90 minutes that almost overstays its welcome, but doesn't quite, but yeah, I mean, I, I think, I think honestly, like I loved this movie and I just am least interested in what's going on this, with this movie when Beetlejuice is on, um, uh, is in it. And also like, again, having not known anything about this movie, I thought Beetlejuice was the main character. I thought Beetlejuice was a helpful character. I thought he was going to save the day. <laughs> <laughs> the movie the movie ended i turned to my wife i'm like so beetlejuice is the villain noted sure even when he's helping the family it's with the clause and stipulation of gonna marry this 12 year old got it okay <laughs> um 
So that was all yeah. fun new stuff for me. So I, um, I think it's absolutely insane how the world building that they've done in this 90 minute movie is better than most movies today that can't seem to do it all in two hours and 30 minutes. Like it just look, it's, it's so it's more creative. world building than the DC has done from Man of Steel to Shazam 2. Right. It's just like the just yeah. the little details of like how the people died in the waiting room and how like yes. the people yes. who commit suicide become civil servants. And oh, my God, the part with the the, the football players is probably my favorite part of the whole movie. Coach, I, I don't think we survived yeah. that crash. <laughs> what gave I it love, away? All right, so even though my wife hated this movie, she I found her laughing a lot and finding a lot of things amusing. None more amusing than the very last shot of this movie with Winona Ryder like float dancing and the football players behind her. <laughs> yeah. We just had, we had a ball that day or that, that moment. Um, but yeah. Um, but also like, I love, like, I just, Again, like I love everything visually about this movie. I love that at the end um, they use the art to attack the mom. I'm like, yes, yeah, get her! Like, yeah, <laughs> I just uh, it is dangerous, so, and I don't want to die this way. I, I think just every choice made was the right choice to make this a a brisk, fun, weird, weird, weird movie. And the thing that kills the Maitlands is like an innocent little puppy <laughs> dog, like just by chance, yeah. like. Oh, well, that's the end of them. Off the bridge into the water. Yeah. I, I'm very annoyed with the sort of subplot, subtext, really, of they had clearly tried for a child at one point and either did not get pregnant or miscarried. And, the, and like, it's like, I don't, I just don't like the way that it's played out, you know, like, like as as somebody who doesn't want kids, I'm like, you know, you can adopt and then you can have a kid, right? Like that's an option, and you know, like if, if you are so focused on your one character trait being to have a child, like you can do that. It's I don't know, it's it's so frustrating for me to see that kind of like kind of thrown in tertiary, like oh, let's find a way for them to connect to the little girl. Hmm. So. It doesn't bother me. <laughs> Honestly, until you said I something just, I'd never noticed. <laughs> yeah, like, I, I just look at it as, like, you know, maybe they would have explored adoption had they not died. Like, I mean, <laughs> you know what I mean? I always just assumed right. they were newlyweds who just hadn't gotten there. They yeah. weren't ready for kids yet. And, like, well... well I thought they had just started with the, trying. But the way, with the way they said, you know, maybe we can try again uh, oh, right yeah. before they die. Um, and it's in a very somber tone. I I get the feeling based off of the context that it was probably a miscarry. Uh, yeah, like that's that's kind of what I. That makes what, sense. What my mind with filled the tone in the, of the blank. rest of the movie. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, ooh, what if Jenna Ortega is the miscarry daughter of growing up? Should I cut that? <laughs> right, that's that up weird? to you. You control. I know that. <laughs> Is that too far? Um, I don't think so. I mean, that would definitely be up Tim Burton's alley back then. I don't know if he, what he'd do now, but um, oh, I mean, if this since movie you brought came out up the '80s, that would absolutely sequel. happen because oh, it's coming yeah, out, yeah. you know, in this era. It's not. Um, since you brought up the possible sequel, I well, the thing that we we all started out by saying, like, "Hey, Michael Keaton's not really a main character here. Beetlejuice is the bad guy." I really have a f bad feeling that they're going to miss that point if they make a sequel and that 
he will be like the mm. Olaf of Frozen 2, where it's like, mm. now there's too much of him, and it's not as yeah. charming. So I, I really hope that they can manage to keep him in that same role, unless they just go full-on cartoon with it. And I don't know. Yeah, I mean, I, yeah. I'm definitely afraid of him being in the movie too much. I don't know that I'm afraid of them missing the point that he's the bad guy. I mean, yes, that would make me very upset because um, continuity is a thing that I like in my brain. But um, <laughs> but yeah, I don't know that it would like ruin my experience. But yeah, if he if he is actually the main character, like he's he just does not show up until halfway through this movie's runtime because I'm saying like, where is yeah. Beetlejuice? Like. <laughs> What am I going to see? I think it's literally like 48 minutes until we meet yeah. him. And then you meet him and he goes away for a while again. And then he comes mm -hmm. back for the finale. Like, yeah. <laughs> and then we see him at the waiting room at the end, which was, I love that scene. <laughs> yes. Brilliant. Um, With the sequel, I hope, I mean, I love Jenna Ortega. Don't get me wrong. I loved her since I've seen her in you and then X and finally Wednesday. I just hope they don't, make it like this is Jenna Ortega's movie and take the focus away from Beetlejuice. You know what I mean? Cause like people want to make money. She's the hot ticket right now. Absolutely. So, but like, don't use her to sell it out. If that makes any sense. Sure. I agree. Yeah. Um, Love it when he, I, he, he screams really loud and his head spins around and he's like, don't you just yeah. hate when that happens? <laughs> <laughs> uh, this is this is hard to talk about because I didn't write down notes for either of these movies. I watched them both last night, um, but I knew what I wanted to say about Big Fish, and I'm just thinking like I had a blast during Beetlejuice, and it was a very jarring experience for me. It's not a perfect film, but it's a film that I thoroughly enjoyed. Um, like and see myself watching in the future a good you know a good number of times again especially at only 90 minutes i don't know how i'm how excited i am about a sequel i'm really excited for the musical to check that out at some point especially because she yeah. played me two songs i'm like i dig this um because one of them was a song that she had heard before i can't remember and one of them was a, uh, i gotta see if i can find it one of them was the the essentially the proposal for when michael keaton is saying hey winona Ryder, little girl i'm gonna help but i'm gonna you know, you got to agree to marry me um, thing. I was so annoyed. I was in um, Jersey for, I say winter break, but I'm not even in college anymore. I was visiting my parents for the holidays. And um, Beetlejuice was doing the finale on Broadway. And I really wanted to go, but tickets were, they like jacked up the prices. But now it's coming to LA. So nice. I'll go see it there. Although I just have this bias about me. Like if it's not on Broadway, it's not real, but I need to get over that. Being a spoiled child living in Staten Island at one point going to Broadway on a whim. So I think the song is called Say My Name, the one about her, you know, doing the Oh, so Destiny oh, Shot. I'm kidding. I think. Uh, and then the other one she started from the beginning, she she did the uh, the whole being dead thing, which was a riot fun. I loved. Um Yeah, I'm gonna listen to the to the music some more. Um yeah, I just I, I thought the movie was great. I, I um I, this is a movie I bought last Black Friday. Um, so I've had a 4K disc of this since like November. Um, nice. And so I watched it on 4K. I don't like notice the upgrades um, necessarily. Like it doesn't really look like a fully restored film or, or whatever. But like, but I'm like I'm still really impressed with the way this movie looks. That's um, good. Mm -hmm. I I was I've every time I see the 4K in the store, I'm just so tempted to buy it, even though I have it on Blu-ray. 
I mean, I don't know how to compare versus the Blu-ray, right? And and I picked it up on Black Friday, so it was like eight or nine bucks, you know, maybe maybe nine ninety nine. But and I didn't own it, so that was an easy great. buy for me. But so I don't know. I can't compare to the. I mean, I guess I can compare to the original Blu-ray because it came with the Blu-ray as well. But so like, I don't know. This Black Friday it'll be five. Sure, upgrade it. Yeah, it there was, you go. It was good. I just, yeah, I, I didn't. I didn't reckon like I, I. I don't know what to compare it to. So I. Uh, I'll hold out for a steel book. There will be one, especially by the time like Beetlejuice two comes out, they'll yeah. have released uh, something for it. But yeah, I um, this one's for sure not going in my cell pile. Although I know that my wife won't ever watch it with me again. But yeah, like I can see how this has become like an October staple for people, and I get it. The movie is way more frightening than I thought of either two because like you think bright colors you think like this like I know it's still Tim Burton and whatnot but like everything about the like cover art says oh this would probably be okay for kids right and but then like you get some of the imagery in here and you're like oh this is I would not show this to a kid like uh right well my kids I don't, I don't know we were a little concerned about showing it to them but uh they're a little darker in general and <laughs> they are your kids. So, they are my kids. <laughs> it's weird though. I they apparently are completely unfazed by any kind of horror special effects made before the year two thousand. We we show them this and they're like, it's not scary. It's all really fake looking. We the you know the scene in Ghostbusters two where they're in the subway and the the heads on the spikes all appear. That was like nightmare fuel for me growing up. And yeah. we showed them that. We told them they should probably look away, mm-hmm. and they didn't. And they looked at us like we were the biggest jerks in the world. Like, why did you lie to us? That that wasn't scary at all. That scares you're making up you. stories like that guy in Big Fish, uh. right? <laughs> That's funny. It's so insane. Like oh they God. just they aren't impressed by old school horror effects. So I don't know. I guess show it to your kids. See what they think. <laughs> <laughs> You heard it first. <laughs> you heard it here first. Oh my god, that's funny. Um. So. So perfect movie. I'm, no, I'm just trying to think of things to like. Um, I did feel like it's very clear Winona Ryder was just kind of supposed to be Wednesday Adams. Like, I realize this came out before the '90s Wednesday Adams, but it did come yes. out after the the TV show. Obviously, way before the Netflix yeah. TV show, like it, it's kind of just the same. Like, I mean, it's 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 a lot less like desiring and even actively achieving. But like, you know, her it's it's a very like, you know, I like sad things. You know, it's very like two thousand three oh, emo. Least, you know, like if you listen to my Chemical Romance, you're kind of in that. You know, yeah. But, like, I would argue Lisa Loring's Wednesday. Like, people, when they think Wednesday, they think Christina Ricci. But, like, the original Wednesday Adams was just a cute, endearing, like, she was an obedient child. She just happened to wear black and be in this kooky family, which Lydia definitely, like, I would argue maybe Christina Ricci's Wednesday took a page out of Lydia's book. That's probably fair. Yeah. I don't know. Because I don't have familiar with the show. Um, I don't know that I've ever actually seen the Adams Family show. show. Uh, We had monsters on in our household, so... I love yeah. the monsters too. Um, I I was raised on like my TV moms were Lily Monster and Morticia Adams. Like obsessed. I don't, yeah, I don't think I ever had the. But I, I grew up on the movies a little bit. But I don't think I ever did the, the yeah the, the original show. So I, I'm comparing it to the Ricci one. So if you're saying that, I mean, yeah, I totally get that. 
probably probably Christina Ricci ripped off some from her, but all the there, like all the characters under- feel kind of like one like singular motivated and things like that. But it's like it kind of works because this is such a contained story and like we're yeah. going for like a vibe where these characters feel like kind of ridiculous and silly and you know we have the mom who her sole trait is she wants to modernize this house and she doesn't want to be here so she wants to feel like she's in new york even though they're in connecticut wherever uh yeah and and dad wants to get away from i think it's connecticut i just don't know the city um and dad wants to actually get a little bit of a break you know he even wants to bring his work to the rest of the town you know he just wants to not live in the big city anymore you know he wants to you know be have a little bit of space right and so that's why he's always like stopping like just leave this one room alone and then the two people just want them to leave their house alone and you know it just occurred to me my favorite joke go ahead i was just gonna say my favorite joke of it all is like the mom's art is terrible like that's just hysterical (laughs) it it just occurred to me that there is a there is a two and a half hour movie here that it deep dives deep into the, the Maitland's lost child perhaps, or uh, cause uh, Catherine O'Hara is the stepmother. It's, it's, it's made Mm -hmm. clear. So is Lydia acting the way that she's acting all dark and depressed and dreary because she lost her mother? Is that why the father wants to get out of the city and had his break, as they said in the movie, like, did they lose mom and wife? And that's what, like, is there a longer, more dramatic version of this movie, more horror version of this movie, perhaps that, like, maybe they had that original idea and then decided to go wacky with it? I don't, I don't know. Mm. Like, is that is that an it interesting It was originally movie? supposed to have a much darker ending, oh, yeah. but not in that way. Yeah, like, it was going to be, like, Beetlejuice, um, I don't I don't want to keep it I want to keep it PG but like he takes advantage of Lydia and then I think she ends up killing him. Yikes. I think that was the original ending. Well, maybe. Maybe that correctly. maybe the whole thing yeah. was meant to be longer, darker, more scary, more depressing and they they decided to go light with it. Yeah. And also the title was supposed to be House Ghost. So <laughs> Interesting. There's I mean, that. Hey, titles that tell the truth, right? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um it would also probably would have made me think that Beetlejuice wasn't the main character if the movie wasn't named after him. Um, That's fair. That's fair. Yeah. Uh, which I'm just, yeah. Um, yeah. Again, I really should have wrote down notes. Cause I remember thinking like, there's a lot of moments in this movie that are just fun. Like, and, and I think a lot of times you get movies like these and they are, they're full of dated reference. And I don't really remember any of them being like super dated. Like, no, you know, no, good. you could definitely tell like the movie visually was a product of its time, but it's not outdated in any like reference it makes or like the story isn't outdated. It's, you know, it, I think it, the story itself is timeless. Like maybe, OK, if they made it now, they'd have some gadgets. Maybe Beetlejuice would screw around with home security systems or something like that. But at its core, it's a really timeless story. Yeah, I think yeah, the only and- maybe really dating it is like. The, the jokes around Otho, because I think it's 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 hinted at that he might be gay. But like back in the 80s, you would definitely never say it. And then there was that yeah. scene where he pulls his clothes off and he's wearing that like tight blue outfit. And I, I feel like they were trying to say something there that might have hit more in the 80s than it does today. But other than that, I can't really think mm-hmm. of anything that that 
joke wise, you'd go, oh, you can't do that anymore. Yeah. 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 I just meant more, more dated. Like a lot of times in, in these, like, like, I feel like a lot of nineties Jim Carrey's comedies, like have a lot of moments where you're like, oh, that was really funny for the time, but I don't understand that 30 years later. You know, like that's more what I meant, like by the dated thing, you know? Um, yeah, but, uh, yeah. Um, I'm really struggling to think of, of things. I just know I had a blast and it was quick and I um, was pleasantly surprised. And and again, I'm pleasantly surprised, I think, because Beetlejuice wasn't the focus. <laughs> um, but yeah, but I mean, that doesn't mean I don't like Michael Keaton's performance in here. Um, I was just right. surprised at how much well, I liked he's... Alec Baldwin and Gina Davis. <laughs> like, yeah. And I think that's the point of it because he's supposed to be insufferable. You know what I mean? Well, yeah. I mean, some people find that lovable, but like I can see why you well, would take that standpoint and I just, like easily. I, I love say. the bare bones plot of this movie is two people die, and for some reason they like they're left to haunt this house. It's not really explained why they don't like go on past you know the next mm-hmm. level or whatever. But they don't know how to haunt anything, and you know, and and. The, people in the afterlife aren't going to give them the time of day so like I, it's just a fun concept and yeah and then and then you throw on the the you know that one of the kids can see them and yeah I, it, yep. it's hard not to like this movie i well i mean i hold on. you either love this movie or you hate this movie it's easy <laughs> to see why somebody might hate this movie i i i told my wife she's i said i really like that she's like i didn't and i'm like i understand <laughs> i just think like it just worked for me like if if i really wanted to like try to break this down and you know it's not anywhere near as thoughtful as something like big fish or it isn't even trying to say anything as much i don't know that this movie has a message um but uh i had a blast me too awesome great um Cool. Moving on. That'll take us to the BEC. Uh, or sorry, the B plot. We'll do a BEC best ever challenge of Danny Elfman scores. We will go number five to number one with Trump rules as always on podcast format. So if you have something higher, make sure to let us know and we will talk about it whenever we reach the highest stage. So, ooh, what order do we want to go in? Let's do this. Let's go Diana mm-hmm. and then Nick and then me. I'll go last. Um, so, Diana, what is awesome. your number five Danny Elfman score? My number five Danny Elfman score is Pee Wee's Big Adventure. Ooh, good pick. Anyone have good that? Pick. In my honorable mentions. Um, I. All right. I, I love this. Um, it was his very first score. It's what made him move from Boingo to movie scores and gave him the prolific career that he has. And it also... Um, he mentioned in interviews, because I listen to this guy in my spare time because I'm weird, that before this, not many people had humor soundtracks. Like, it was just, like, sound effects or they used generic music, but, like, this kind of kicked off, like, humor scoring. So I, I love it. And when I saw him in person, he brings out a little drum and plays it, and it's just <laughs> kind of adorable. Nice. <laughs> nice. Yeah. Uh, Nick, what's your number five? My number five is Men in Black. Oh, honorable mention for me. I was so close to putting it on here. I had the soundtrack growing up and I just really love that that opening and closing song that he that the dun 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 It's mostly dun 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 and that's it. But yeah. No, there's so much more. It just starts like that. 
Uh, I just I really love the the way that that song goes all the way through. It it's just it's just a fun score that they that he puts behind this this crazy wacky alien movie and just he really sets the the tone because it's not just it's not just like a a like your typical alien movie, but like he also throws in little like nods to like old style like monster movies and alien movies of like the old like the like black and white days. Yeah. Like I, re- I really like, yeah. I really like the little touches that he adds in there, and that's 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 why it's my number five. Nice, love that. All right, get ready to push the button. I have Beetlejuice at number five. Trump! I have it higher. <laughs> <laughs> yep, I but figured that was Gorms coming. And I have a fun story about that. That was a great when the time comes. <laughs> yeah, I, I don't know. I think it's just that like this is my only first, like my first history with it. So like, yeah, it hasn't quite grown on me yet. But I, I. I thought it was enough that it really bumped my top five. I also just realized that Elfman has done a lot and like, sorry, Diana, this might crush your spirit, but like he is nowhere near the level of John Williams or like Hans Zimmer or um, I, I think, I think like Michael Gacchino is my favorite of like the, the bigs. Um, you know, I, I think Raymond Jawadi is my favorite composer, um, but yeah. Um, I think Michael. Things G- I learned today. Nick and I are the same person. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> like no, I, like I, Elfman's got some iconic stuff, but I'm just like, like I was looking through his filmography, and I'm like, if I can remember it, or if I can like start to hum it or something, you know. But you look through Williams, and you're like, oh, Schindler, yeah, I can, I can hum Schindler's List. I can hum Superman. I can hum Star Wars. Like, you know, obviously, the big hitters. You know, Hans Zimmer. You can just hum one thing, and you've got like five of his movies. That it, it is that <laughs> progression. So, but. Anyway, uh, you know, or I think of like, you know, Gacino and you're like, The Incredibles, yeah, let's go. But yeah, anyway. Um, um, I think Giacchino is probably the closest in style to Elfman. And I think that's why I like his stuff a lot, because uh, it's so similar to what Danny Elfman was doing. Because they, they are probably two of my mm-hmm. favorites. I don't think you can compare anybody to John Williams. I think he just, uh, yeah, no. he's cleaned he's up at this point. He's, yeah, he absolutely is. But I, I really, I, there's something about Danny Elfman's scores that just when, when they hit just right. And I don't know, maybe it's because they're paired. Uh, I totally agree. With Tim I just, stuff. I just like, my list is very short. I have one, I have two honorable mentions. One of them has been mentioned and yeah, it just was interesting for me. I had a lot less than I figured I would, but, um, all right. To our number fours, Diana. Number four, Mars Attacks. Um, I love this movie. This might be one of my favorite Burton movies. Um, I just did a BEC on it on Sif Pop, so go check that out. Mm-hmm. But I love that you still get that extraterrestrial sound in there while it's still like a big booming score. Um, kind of like what you mentioned earlier, Nick, with Men in Black. It is a nod to those old sci-fi movies. Um, definitely one of my favorite scores to have up in the background. Nice. That one too. Um, all my, right. My number four is Edward Scissorhands. Trump. Uh, I had a feeling. <laughs> I feel like Nick and I are going to have four of the same five just mixed around. Um, <laughs> and the one that we have is going to be an honorable mention. For the other one. I, I, it's, um, it's hard for me to pick other stuff. Like I listened to like so much of his stuff last night, just, just to make sure that I didn't miss anything. But like, I just always kept coming back to the same five. I'm like, it's these four. Yeah. And then let's see what number five is. Yeah. Fair. Um, okay. So 
that leads to my number four. Um, I have Spider-Man here. Honorable mention nice. for me. I yeah. saw him do that live. Nice. Yeah, I just, like. I I thought about putting this one in honorable mentions only because like, it's an adapted, from like, you know he he kind of adapts the Spider-Man cartoon like at least from the main theme right but like. He still managed to do it in a way that felt so, like, modern and, you know, like, this is, like, between Blade, this, and X-Men, like, redefining the superhero genre. And, like, this is the best score out of any of those three movies. Definitely the most iconic. Uh, I'm not saying X-Men has bad scoring either, but, like, you know, this was the best. Um, You know, and probably the best directed? Yeah, definitely the best directed of those three. Anyway, just, like... It just felt so natural and so, like, epic without actually being, you know, three hours long or whatever. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I love the Spider-Man. And I just threw on the first one because, I mean, I don't know that there's enough differences. Like, I can't think of a single... Like, there's a big difference between, like, the Amazing Spider-Man and the Amazing Spider-Man 2. But I couldn't tell you if there's differences between the, the Raimi trilogy. Okay. Diana, what's your number three? Number three is Beetlejuice. Trump! Dang, okay. All right, Nick. Let's hear it. What's your number three? My number three is Batman 89. Yeah, Trump that. (laughs) I had a feeling. (sighs) Yep. Um, Okay, my number three is Edward Scissorhands. Trump. Diana, what's your number two? My number two, I might get flack for this because it's not a movie, but I don't care. It's one of the best pieces of music I've ever heard. Wednesday. Um, I think that is so, it's such a powerful, strong theme. Um, I was listening to it when I got my most recent ear piercing that my mom doesn't know about. Sorry, mom. Um, Like, it is just badass. Like, like you hear the choir, Elfman loves a choir. You've got those strings in there as an homage to Wednesday playing the cello, like chef's kiss. Yeah. Yeah, I was Um, almost putting that on my list as well. Okay, I, right. Yeah, I mean, if I w- if I would have thought about it, it would have for sure like been an honorable mention or or made my list. Amazing. <laughs> but we just said Danny Elfman scores. We didn't specify. So, um, if we would have said Danny Elfman film scores, then I would be giving you. But like, I no, I I think you're totally in the right there because we just said Danny Elfman scores, and that yeah. is a Danny Elfman score. Okay. Um. Nick's number two? My number two? This is where I have Beetlejuice. All right. We talk about it? Take it away. All right. I just love this song. It is just so much fun. I just, it's so good. I just, it's uppity, it's bumpy, it's happy, it's scary, it's it's weird. It has every amount of, like, weird vibes that the movie itself gives off and honestly i don't even think this movie is half as good if any other score is attached to it i the music just totally amps you up the entire time you're watching the movie true so great story behind them making the score when they went to record it lionel newman was conducting and him and danny got into it because danny wanted that like mm, 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 like that skippy 
beat staccato and Lionel was conducting it as more of like a swing like and he was like no that's not it so he would run in and give notes to like the orchestra and Lionel was like listen Beethoven if you're done like or something like he basically (laughs) called him Beethoven like in a snarky way and by the end of it Danny went to um, whoever was in charge of picking the conductor and was like it's not working and so he essentially fired Lionel I never knew that story I, like I said, I just listened to this man for fun. So, um, this will get to my number two then. Um, yeah, again, I just I think it needs to grow on me a little bit more. Um, I think it's just I only experienced it for the first time yesterday. So, um, my number yeah, two is fair. Batman '89. Yeah, um, it's it's so good. It's so iconic. Um, it, it it fits perfectly for the TV series as well. Like I love that they just reused it for Batman the animated series. But, like, it's so perfect. It's so good. I mean, between the, like, fun, fast-paced, you know, uh, like, it's got that fun, like, upbeat energy, but also when it needs to hit its big, like, you're like, that's Batman. Let's go. Yeah. I, and I know there's more than just that one song in the score, but, like, like that's the main theme, right? So that's the one that I want to hit on mostly. But it's a great score. Yes. Give it. Fun story about this. He wrote this on a plane ride um, from London and he would get up and go to the bathroom every time he thought about something to record it. And finally, the flight attendant came over and was like, um, is everything OK? You've yes, been getting I'm up writing music to the new Batman movie. Would you like to hear it? Yeah. Yes. Love it. That's yes, I would. awesome. Yeah, yeah I, I hope I, we all have the number one, the same number one. But can I talk about Batman, please? Yes, yes, yes. I love it. It everything you said is correct. I just I Yeah. I grew up with this one. Like I had all the toys when they came out. I I listened to that song constantly because my I want to say my dad had the record. We might have had the cassette yeah. by that point. I don't know, but we had we had it and it was just it's just such a great soundtrack and score. Yeah. And then the movie, it's it's perfect. And I don't even know why I need to talk cuz you covered it all. But it was perfect. <laughs> I love it. All right, moment of truth. Do we all have the same number one? I have a really good feeling Nick and I do. Uh, Diana, what do you have for your number one? Edward Scissorhands, particularly Ice Dance. Um, I cried when I saw him play that live. That is the song I want playing whenever I give birth, hopefully one day, because I feel like if you enter the world listening to this song, like you're already set up for a good life. Um, It's an iconic cinematic moment. Kim, you know, Winona Ryder just spinning around with the ice falling on her, the beautiful choir, like, it's just about two minutes of bliss. I really love his haunting, ethereal vocals that he likes to put in a lot of his stuff, but that one, it just is chef's kiss. He does just a perfect job with it. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Yeah, no extra notes. It's, it, I guess, I guess one extra note, the score is the best part of the film. Um. Yes. Um, and that's saying something because, you know, there's some good performances. There's some interesting direction. Lots of good stuff. Yeah. Um, all right, Nick, do we have the same number one? I think we should, unless you're really off. But it's Nightmare Before Christmas, right? Yeah, it's Nightmare Before Christmas. It's Nightmare yeah. Before Christmas. That's ironically an honorable mention for me as as big of a Disney fan as I am. I just I think, love everything else so much more. I, the big thing, first of all, I love the music. Um, 
it's like that we like it's weird haunting in a fun way but also he has the task of like turning halloween town but sound christmasy and it's like oh that's like it's just fun like the way that he so you're playing hearing christmas tunes on like accordions with broken you know with broken keys and like it it's so and then he does uh, the halloween stuff with like christmas instruments like the Uh the stuff that you would hear that I love it. I and then just the fact mm-hmm. that he he's the singing voice of Jack Skellington. Yeah. That yeah. that uh, Jack's lament is like my yep. absolute favorite song of the it entire movie. On me, man. I love it so much. It used to we be my least it. favorite, and now it's the thing I think of of is the first really? when I think of the music. Yeah. <sighs> we we honestly listen to that that soundtrack like come October. It is pretty much just the Nightmare Before Christmas soundtrack in the car whenever we make it car ride like that's it that's all we listen to because it's just do you love the like companion album where a bunch of metal bands covered the songs i like some of them yeah i'm not a fan i'm not a fan of all of them and i especially do not like his alternate takes of the songs where it's it's danny elfman singing the non the not the version from the movie because i'm like no that's not how he does it why are you doing it that way I love the corn version of Kidnap the Sandy Claus. I think it's I do too. so good. Yeah. Uh yeah, no, but I think like to yeah, to your credit kind of like the, the first song the first song I hear when I think of the nightmare before Christmas like music is that you know da, 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 like but that weird like accordion. So mm-hmm. it's that it's it's Jackson Lent, which is you know, I know this mm-hmm. is Halloween is like the biggest one, and what's this is my favorite song off of it. But, but yeah, you're right, Nick. By by him also providing the the vocals for Jack, and yeah, I mean, I'll, I guess also kind of cheating. Well, it's not cheating because it would still be my number one based off of instruments alone. But like, there is vocals in this one too. Like it, yeah. he he did the he did the music for a musical, um, and he put so much of his heart into that performance because it was around the time where he wanted to move from Boingo to film scoring permanently and he was tired of being in a band and he looks at it as like being a ruler of a kingdom when you're a lead singer in a band so he really related to jack and he pushed he like lobbied to be the singing voice of jack skelling you're right it is kind of a cheat because of of the vocals but like i'm thinking of like dr finkelstein the song it's just it's like and it's it's just music and the way that it goes up and down throughout that, that piece, like I can, it's the, it starts with him walking through the forest. It start it, it ends in the, in the, um, in the laboratory and just, and then the ending, the ending score, I could just listening to the end theme credits over and over again on repeat. I love yeah. the way that's that, that's the movie ends. Um, I think again. I think I kind of put just the instrumentals like would still be number one for me. And I think here's why. Like maybe a fun fact for you. Um, I've I've mentioned it on this podcast before, but did you know that the Nightmare Before Christmas has a sequel? I am. It's I've I've heard of it. Yes. No, it's I in the form of a PlayStation Two video game. Oh, um, that's what you're talking PlayStation about. PlayStation Two and Xbox. Yes, it's a yeah. Sequel I have to the that film. game. <laughs> it's so good. I like, remember it being it? good. I never played the whole thing. I only got it started. I never actually got very far into it. Yeah, after um after like not long after we started this podcast because it's still during the covid time, I played the game and like it cost me a decent chunk of change to get it, you know, more than a PlayStation 2 game should, but um it's like it's like legitimately really good. It's a it's a sequel and um 
you know, it, it's uh, there there. It's also a musical sequel where like there are there are big boss fights where you have to like like you fight by you know hitting the right musical notes and like there's an like Oogie Boogie's song like is one of the one of the fights Oogie Boogie song is great um but but like as you're just walking around Halloween Town you'll mm-hmm. hear exclusively instrumentals of Jack's instru- of uh, of Jack's lament and um uh like this is Halloween like just depending on where you're at in the map like you'll hear the music on repeat and like look it would get it would be so easy to be annoyed but the music is so good that i'm just humming along smiling so happy the entire time playing it it's like a 8 to 10 hour game it's not like terribly long it's not terribly short either and like you're listening to the soundtrack the whole time like it just it never gets old mm-hmm. uh, it's yeah. so good when you said sequel i thought you meant that there's a book called the pumpkin yeah. queen and it's about sally and mm. I, I thought that's where you were going with that. I was like, yes, yes. I have heard of that, but uh, yeah, I'm surprised well, you yeah. did. <laughs> and well, and there is, I think there is always talk about them wanting to make another one, but like it's only under certain stipulations and it just sounds like some people really want to and some people really don't. And so until all of them finally agree. Yeah. And it, the first one was a flop. Yeah, technically. Yeah, like it, but I mean, it, indeed, it, it definitely didn't uh, get popular until it was like re-released oh. on DVD. Oh. And Disney didn't even trust it at the time. They wouldn't release right. it under the Disney flag. They oh had to put God. it on the Touchstone. So, right. like, they, there was nobody thought that movie was going to do well. And and technically, at the time, it did not. It would do huge if they made a sequel, though. Like because it's because it's grown so much, and it's and it's a pop culture staple at this point. You know, go walk into any hot topic. You know. Yeah, I'm happy. Um, there's no sequel. I don't want a sequel. I think it's perfect the way it is. I this the, all the sequel I need is in on the soundtrack. Um, I love the way uh, Patrick Stewart actually voices the narrator, and uh, I I just love the little just that little end cap where he's just like. Uh, I, I, I once went back to visit and there were a bunch of little skeleton children at hand at playing strange little tunes on their xylophone band. And I asked Jack, uh, if you could go back to that night, would you do it all over? Uh, and uh, he just looks at me and he smiled and says, wouldn't you? And then it just ends and he goes. And I just love it. It's just my absolute favorite. And here's a visual aid. Oh my Sorry, God. podcast listeners. This was oh. our Halloween costume. I am Oogie yes. Boogie. Mia is Sally. And Lily, as a baby, is Santa oh, Claus precious. tied up in the uh, yes. wagon. I love it. We that's amazing. Love it. That's so good. I love that. Um, yeah, I, I I, just love this movie. And yeah, I, I, I agree with you, Nick. I don't think it needs a sequel. Um, but yeah. I certainly wouldn't be opposed to one, but I I yeah. gotta, I want to know what the rest of the towns look like, you know? I want to know what St. Patrick's Dayville and Valentine's Day... I, I don't really... Yeah, I'm kind of scared, I'm kinda scared about Fourth of Julyville, but, you know, um, the rest of them... Yeah. <laughs> I was thinking, you know, Boondocks, Alabama, but yeah. Um... <laughs> I saw the Easter anyway. movie, Here Comes Peter Cottontail, and I feel like that's what a sequel would be like. Oh, what's the really racist one that Disney put out that, like, they... Yeah. Like, from song the, of the 20s. South. Yeah. <laughs> like, I feel like it's just Song of the South. <laughs> oh. <laughs> I haven't seen it, so I don't know. Just, this is me just talking about 
talking about my butt. Um, all right, well, that'll wrap up with the B plots. Let's do the spinoff. So, um, what is that one thing in any year of pop culture that you want to tell everybody to check out or to stay away from? Uh, Diana, let's start with you. Check out Scream 6. Uh, I am obsessed with it. I think the later Screams do not get enough love as my computer freezes right now. You, I can still We still you. have you. Oh, she's <laughs> oh. <laughs> Can confirm Scream 6 is great. <laughs> can confirm the first two thirds of Scream 6 are great. Okay, um. you know, no, I'll give it to you. I mean, realistically, has a Scream movie ever had a good ending? Yes, all of the other ones. Um, continue, <laughs> Diana. Yeah, no, I was just saying, I feel like the later Screams don't get enough love. I am one of the rare people who did not like Scream 2. You can murder me, it's fine. Scream um, 2 is just the best Scream, you know? I, don't, I didn't like it either. It's my least favorite. Nick and I are the same person. Um, <laughs> Drink. <laughs> oh, my God. Yeah, so check out Scream 6. It's a great time. And, yeah, especially in theaters. Nick? All right, I'm going to be... I'm going to be that guy. I'm the Star Trek guy. And uh, this this week marks episode six of Star Trek Picard, uh, the final season. And I am just absolutely over the moon in love with this show. I have if you've read my previous reviews of Star Trek uh, Picard, you will know that I was not a fan of season two and I definitely didn't like season one. Um this is everything that the, I wanted those first two seasons to be. And it's been argued that those two seasons walked so that this one could run. And I guess, but like, it's just a complete and total upgrade from like, just from a writing standpoint, a story structure standpoint, the other seasons felt like it was a, a long movie just stretched out over 10 hours. This feels like they actually have a, a point and a, a vision and they they definitely are doing everything they can to pay homage to the original show and respect to the fans and it, it really feels like they've been listening to what we've been wanting and i just i love every minute of it it's star trek picard if you are a star trek the next generation fan a ds9 fan maybe even a voyager fan i highly recommend you check out star trek picard season three you don't need seasons one and two They've pretty much, they're irrelevant at this point. Season three, all the way. Love it. Nice. Do you guys want to hear about a modern TV show or a like 15-year-old video game? TV show. Yeah, I'm TV show. Uh, I've been watching as it's wrap, as it's about to wrap up. Um, I've been um, watching Shrinking on Apple TV+. And um, I'm loving this show i'm only a few episodes in um there's 10 episodes total definitely by the time this launches the series will have been wrapped up i will probably have a review published on on the site by the time that this episode actually airs but i'm just i'm really liking the show it stars jason siegel and harrison ford jason siegel plays um a, a therapist who is um depressed and wants to uh, because his you know wife died in a car crash and so he's uh um trying to um like still work on how he's dealing with that himself and then trying to like, if he, if he can help his patients, he can help himself is kind of his thing. If he can make other people happy, then he can be happy. And he's working on a severed relationship with his daughter. Um, so look, here's the deal. Um, you guys know that I'm a scrub Stan and um, obviously everybody and their mother is rightfully a, a Ted Lasso Stan. Both of those shows are, 
um, executive produced, uh, co-create, co-created for Ted Lasso, created um, for Scrubs by Bill Lawrence, who is also a co-creator and executive producer for this show. Oh, so nice. you knew just Bill Lawrence's name attached was going to make me love it. But I think Siegel's giving a great performance. It's nice to see Harrison Ford care uh, in a role again. Um, you know, but uh, it, it's 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 funny. It's not like quite as funny as something like Ted Lasso or Scrubs, uh, but it's still got like that same heart and um, it's got some good jokes in it. So, uh, but I, I'm just, I'm really, really, really liking the show. And I, I think it's one of those that uh, I think some people know it exists and are talking about it, but like, just, just check it out. I think it's great. It's driving me nuts that Bill Lawrence is tied to Apple because if this, if this or Ted Lasso were on any other either streaming platform or network, they would be 15 times mm-hmm. bigger. Like everyone would be watching. It's true. Them. Like it, yeah. they're so good. Shrinking is fantastic. I I'm only yeah. like five episodes in, but yeah. I love every minute of it. The, the weird thing about Ted Lasso is that it's produced by Warner brothers, which means why is that not? Oh, on HBO? Well, yeah. Like, it's so it's strange. Like, like when you turn on the opening credits, it's like produced by Warner brothers. Things, and it's like, they're dealing with their Why's own streaming. Uh, Warner Brothers right would have sold it off to Apple at some point anyway. Yeah, yeah that's true. I don't know. Maybe if they'd have got Ted Lasso, they wouldn't be in the situation they are now. Uh, Fair enough. Anyway, uh, that's a wrap. Remember, you can follow Nick and Diane at the places they put at the top of the show. I'll also have their uh, Twitter handles in the episode description below. And remember, if you want to find all the socials, go to the Meet the Contributors page and you can find them listed. You can also find me on Twitter, Letterboxd, Schweitcastle, also in the Meet the Contributors page. Find out which meads I've made there, because I think it's been like nine or ten. And I have them all listed in there, if you want to know, for funsies. Um, Quick reminder, Stiff Pop Writers Room is part of the Studio DNA Network. You can check out other great shows at studiodna.media, or by searching Studio DNA in your podcast player. If you're interested in writing for Sifpop.com, or you want to get in contact with the show, maybe send us a question to explore during the B-plot. Then email writersroom at sifpop.com. And please don't forget to leave us a review on iTunes or Spotify if you're listening over that way. Next week, Frank and Jack will be joining me to talk. I'm so ready for this double feature. The Cable Guy and Signs. Um, really excited for that. <laughs> I know, man. Uh, especially having Frank Those on. two I movies. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I, yeah. <laughs> and then in two weeks, Joe will talk, come on to talk about The Ghost in the Shell. We'll be doing the live action as well as the original anime um, uh, together for that. So thank you guys for joining with uh, me this week and for putting up with all of the craziness that we've had to put up with that. I don't know that anybody will know about. um, Thank you once again for having us. (laughs) Yeah, of course. Well, we'll see you guys um, at some point in the future. I'll be on the show, but uh, listeners, we will see you next week um, with Frank and Jack.